1: Thank you, sponsors. Thank you. Friends and family, brothers and sisters, welcome to the Late Night with Chalky podcast.
0: Welcome. We got an epic guest today, former top 10, pro surfer, shaper, nicknamed the Skeletor. Skeletor. Welcome to the show, Richie Collins. Woo! Stop it in. Richie. Yeah. of Richie, do you yeah. We're, we're, uh, Round of applause. We love use, it. Thanks you, for uh, making the time. Do you use curse words? No worries. Words?
1: Do you use curse words, Richie?
2: <laughs> yeah, you do. Do I? Yeah. <laughs> well, if you hit my finger with a hammer, I probably would. <laughs> well, if he has a jersey on, he would. But <laughs> <laughs> I don't wear him anymore. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I think the proper way to introduce Richie motherfucking
0: Skeletor Collins one of the most iconic surfers oh, of all my time, gosh. man. <laughs> Can't, 10,
2: you can't you can't start off like that come on we did o'clock. we did it <laughs> no can't start off like that all right yeah. richie uh you're from deport
1: beach right
2: yes uh tell start us how uh,
1: tell us uh how you got into surfing and when how old were you
2: well my father lance collins started a company called wave tools back in 1969 wow and um He just got really into it. He was building boards in the 60s and doing other crazy things in the 60s. And uh, he uh, just started wanting to surf and build boards, worked for a few companies and didn't like what they were doing. So he started doing his own thing and then ended up being a company and got further and further. And I started surfing when I was about probably three years old and then got more into it when I was about six, seven years old because he had a store down at – Newport Beach down at the pier, right on the beachfront. So I just, you know, grabbed a board one day with my sister and we just paddled out and started riding the whitewash. Nice.
0: Sick. Right right there at Blackie's?
2: Yep, right there at Blackie's, right at the end of the pier parking lot by the showers where there used to be a Pier One Records. I think it was Pier One Records. Or something like that. Yeah. Such a good little zone to to learn how to surf. Yeah, I was great. I mean back back then in the seventies and there was a lot more waves back then though. So less people too. Yeah, way yeah. less people. We know that for sure.
0: So you
1: and your sister started surfing at the same time, pretty much. Yeah. Nice. We both
2: started surfing at the same time. She stopped doing it after a few months or what so and I kept doing it and then um, some other little kids were out there here and there. We just met up, you know, hung out and that's how I got to know all my friends.
1: Nice, nice. So, Who are you surfing with as Groms?
2: Well, nobody in particular until I met, um, these two boys were down there by the pier one day and I saw them. So I kind of like paddled over to them and I started surfing with them and I really didn't know who they were, but we were just kind of hanging out, surfed for a couple hours. And then years later, um, they actually started getting boards from my dad and they looked familiar to me. And I said, "Hey, you remember me?" And they're like, "What?" And they and I reminded them, and it was it was Mike Estrada and Dave Estrada. No way! No,
0: sick! I
1: thought you were gonna say Gary Edgar.
2: Oh no, he (laughs) he was later on in the time when we were doing the WSA's together. Nice, nice.
0: I I I saw Estrada this morning surfing the pier.
2: Oh yeah, where Uh, what pier? Huntington. Really?
0: Yeah, Huntington. I know he makes his way up here.
2: Yeah, I've seen him out there a couple times in a while. Yeah, I see him out there a couple times lately. Oh, wow, that's crazy. Well, it's so, one of the only
0: places to surf right now, so unfortunately. Yeah, well,
2: you know, there's always some little secret spots here and there. Yeah. 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 So you, obviously with the dad being, uh, you
0: know, a shaper, you, you grew up riding his boards right away, obviously. Yeah, I actually.
3: Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. at Byte.com, that's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.
2: Um, no, actually not. Really? I, uh, basically would just grab a board out of the store and just start riding it. And then I started getting better and better and um, he would never make me a board. So finally my friend that had an Animal Tracks that he traded into my dad, I started riding that board. It was like a six foot single fin from like, 76 or something like that and uh i was just riding that every day and started going down the line doing a couple of turns hitting a lip a little bit on it and uh uh finally guys were the boys around town like dude what's your problem lance why don't you make your kid a board <laughs> proper
0: proper board man is six yeah, footer that, exactly that was,
2: a, that was a gun back then so luckily in 76 77 the twin fins started popping out and getting really popular so um One day, he made me a board. Nice. And I was, I think, eight years old. Wow. And it didn't work. It was a twin fin. It didn't work for me (laughs) because I was so used to riding single fins. And back in the day, if anybody remembers going from a single fin from a twin fin, you would take off on the twin fin. You go right, it would go left. Yeah. So (laughs) it was a whole different surfing uh, style to have to adjust to.
1: Yeah, single fins, you pretty much set an edge and then it goes not it goes necessarily where you're supposed straight. to go. Yeah, yeah, it goes where it's supposed to go, where yeah. twin fins are a lot more squirrely under your feet, right?
2: Well, back then, twin fin was a twin fin, but yeah. nowadays the twin fins I'm making right now are working like tri fins and the guys riding them are riding them in big waves, so yeah. or you know, more than just tiny flat waves.
1: So, did you quickly progress at, at surfing? Like, yeah, come
2: to you naturally? Yeah, I did. I met some more friends from the store. Uh, you know, a bunch of my guy, my dad's teen guys, you know, that I grew up with that were older than me. And a, and one kid I grew up with that was a year and a half older than me, Paul Ebel from 36th Street. You know, we became really good friends and grew up together. Another kid, Bobby Knickerbocker, became really good friends with. And um, Jamie Reedling and uh, all his brothers. And, you know, I just became this really big group of kids. And um, we just started surfing against... Uh, with each other every day and you know I got to know more kids as I got older and then when I started high school I got even more friends yeah like Todd Miller and stuff like that and uh, my friends that you know from Harbor Dave Giddings and stuff yeah yeah Dave Dave Giddings actually started um, almost writing for my dad back when I was about 11 but he didn't Uh, but his brother Greg did and then uh, Greg went on to shaping his own boards and coming out with his own company. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I just started surfing more and more, getting in competition, and uh, started doing the WSAs. And uh, started coming to Hawaii when I was 11 years old and started coming Damn. over to the North Shore when I was 13 and living over here every winter. So, So, so awesome. you're doing WSAs? Was that with the dad, your parents, or, or through sponsors? No. Uh, first time I went to Kauai. Uh, my dad's been going to Kauai since the '60s, and that's when he met uh, Titus and the Kini Maka family, and became really good friends with them, and started making them boards back in the late '70s or early '70s, I think. Late, I can't remember, but it was you know pretty early in the '70s. Yeah. And then um, I flew over with them one year in '80. And met up with them, and we hung out for a few weeks in Kauai and had a good time, and it was very interesting and scary yep. um, back in the day when there was only one stop sign on the whole entire island, which was a blinking light, <laughs> and a couple stop signs um, here and there that you'd hardly ever run into, Yeah. so very interesting. So, Hawaii's like a second home to me. You know, I've been coming here for 40 years, or going over there for 40 years, so... it's 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 a beautiful place so did you get familiar with kind of bigger
0: bigger surf um you know get an experience out there at a pretty young age and
2: yeah i i uh came over here when i was 13 by myself and came to the north shore and stayed with the angula family um back in uh 82 i think it was and uh first time paddling out at sunset yeah it was interesting (laughs) so took off on my uh one of the biggest waves I've ever taken off on on the West Peak and uh, on a six six single fin from a Danny Kwok pintail model from back in the early '80s nice. or late '70s early '80s, but um, it was uh, very interesting and I fell in love with it ever since. So, so who? who uh, but you but you but you hung around and watched the contest,
0: the Triple Crown over there and stuff. So you're probably pretty in, pretty. Yeah. Well,
2: <laughs> when I came over here, there was the uh Sun-Kiss World Cup and Tom Carroll had won it that year against Mr. And I was walking by the final, and I went to surf v at the time. And uh, then when it was over, me and my buddy Mark Angula ran back to his house, grabbed our bigger boards, which was a 5.8 and a 6.6, six, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> decided to paddle out. And uh, it was pretty cool. It was just <laughs> – I mean imagine, imagine seeing sunset, the most perfect you've ever seen it. And that's how it was. Bringing. It was like a northwest with a west in it, and it was beautifully, perfectly offshore glass conditions, epic. And, how big? Uh, it was awesome. It was during December, so I was on my uh, what do we uh, Christmas break. Nice. How big was it? So, um, it was solid six to eight foot. You know, mm. so um, for a thirteen year old, that was only about four foot nine at the time, four foot ten, weighed about eighty five pounds. It was pretty big. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I can imagine. So, so so uh you started surfing amateur contests in
2: the area were you starting to win them um well in hawaii i didn't start surfing the hawaii comps until i think i was 16 or 17 but i was coming over i was going over there um every year after that yeah and i start i you know i I started hanging out with the the bedros stayed with them a couple times and uh Got more into big wave riding, and then I moved in with Bradshaw for a couple years. Nice. So um, I was living with Kenny Bradshaw, and you know how that goes. Yeah. Yeah. Thank Maniac. Well, let's, yeah, he, let's go he, back to. Let's go back he to made, your... He made me start surfing big waves. I had no choice.
1: <laughs> that probably prepared you for the pro tour, though, right?
2: Oh, he sure did. Yeah. Without his help, I would have never done anything over here in Hawaii. Yeah.
1: So let's go back to your Newport Grom days. Uh, you mentioned Quoc and Parker um or not you didn't mention parker
0: but reeling those those when you you're a little younger than those guys right
2: preston murray john gothard mark mangan and uh see who else was uh one of the main characters there um i think there was a couple other boys that were kind of like following behind those guys yeah you know I, i surf with every day so but those were like the main guys that were all in the magazines and stuff like that. And a uh, couple other boys made the magazines, like Alan Lopez and um, I think uh, Carrie Kalina and Joey Kalina, a couple other boys.
1: Yeah. So those guys, that was like early 80s when those guys were blowing up with Echo Beach, right?
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was a big deal, 54th Street, Echo Beach. Um, the, uh, you know, the Quicksilver stuff, you know came around and my dad was really involved with them back in the uh, late 70s the early early 80s yeah. and did a bunch of ads with them with the boys and uh, you know we you know had other guys like Robbie Todd you know riding our boards you know yeah. my dad's boards at the time and um, we had a really good crew you know it was a really good bit of uh, really tight net crews between wave tools and McCoy the whole time and yeah. Greg pouch was you know hanging out with um, McCoy was coming over, you know, shaping boards for Shane Horan. Dude, I tell you, I had like Shane Horan, Gary Kong, Elkerton, Sean Thompson, Rabbit, Dan Kealoha, Larry Bertelman, Buttons. I had the whole crew. I had all of Australia, Martin Potter coming over. I mean, uh, Hans Hedelman, uh, Derek O. Mike, I, every single pro in the whole world came and hung out. Hung out oh, you got your dad's shop. Yeah. Not all of not my dad's shop but Newport But just was, in the area of it, Yeah, the in zone. the area. Newport was the spot to hang out, the party area, and I was the only Grom around that was just like <laughs> hanging out with everybody, so it was pretty damn cool.
0: Yeah. Did
2: did your dad dad uh, you know, keep keep you in the shop to help out and stuff?
0: Or did you did you learn uh well he didn't the trade?
2: He didn't keep me in the shop, he made me be in the shop. Yeah. But I pretty much didn't have a childhood. My childhood was sucking up foam and sniffing up resin my yeah. whole life so <laughs> since i was born that's where i pretty much spent my whole time so it's
0: in your dna yeah What's... i uh
2: when they took a blood test um a few years back they said they didn't understand what this um this liquid form was in it and i said it could be either acetone or resin running my veins <laughs> <laughs> yeah so
1: your blood's made up of plasma white cells and acetone <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
2: so a little extra a little extra acetone count on it
1: so was you uh, know
2: it was it was interesting it was slave slave labor slave yeah. work, um, and you know I just I am kind of like the kind of person that when you start showing me how to do something I figure out better ways of doing it and I kind of I started doing it and then once I started going around the world I learned even more
0: nice nice yeah we 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 interview a lot of people and you know we always talk about like growing up within. a you know, your local surf shop or surf factory, which a lot of people, you know, got their their first jobs at and stuff. So seem like you're, you know, embedded having a dad that's a shaper and, you know, with all, you know, being right there in Newport, it must have been insane to see all these guys coming through town.
2: Well, it it was unbelievable. It just... You know, you're growing up and you're seeing all these magazines and stuff and you're watching Jerry Lopez do that bottom turn at Pike that was just the most incredible thing. And you're like, God, I want to surf that. And you see the sunset pictures of people pulling in and, you know, P.T. and Ian Caron's coming over into my shop with the Braun Dazzies and building boards with Shane Haran It was just like, you know, there's there's so much stuff, you know, that as I speak, memories come up and um, just – Looking and studying those photos, and then watching the, you know, uh, Big Wednesday and, um, uh, endless summer when that came out, and just yeah. yeah, just knowing that that is what you want to do.
0: Yeah, that, yeah. You, that's yeah. That's your goal is to yeah. emulate and be one of those guys. Yeah.
1: What's yeah. what's crazy is like you know, the the late seventies, early eighties, Newport was like the epicenter of surfing for a while.
2: Well, you know? yeah, it did. It became because the reason why it got that way is because when the boys started coming and hanging out with us and um, between my father and Greg Pouch, both doing, you know, Wave Tools and McCoy, yeah. they pretty much and got it going mostly with, you know, Bob McKnight, you know, with the Quicksilver thing. And that's kind of what exploded the Echo Beach yeah. thing and then. You know, Bob Hurley was kind of in the mix of that, you know, working for my father, shaping boards in the mid-70s into the later 70s. And then um, it's like – it was like a swarm. Yeah. You know, it's sure. like here's the here's the the main beehive and everybody from around the world came to Newport Beach, you know. Yeah. And there was the Huntington crew too, like Bud Lamas would cruise down and then you'd have guys like Steve Webb and um, Randy Wadine and uh, – other guys man who else is out there um the hawks uh, the hawk uh, brothers the the hawk brothers and parminer uh, well parminers they're they're from uh they were from newport from back in the 70s but they moved up to uh carpinteria socal a long time ago san luis obispo area cayucas and then um uh you know they parminers were riding for my dad back in the early late 70s early 80s too Oh, that's right now
1: i remember that uh was it Dave that had the like weird gray board, the like, cement yeah, yeah, brick board?
2: Yeah, the, uh, he had the um, – the uh, I think it was all gray, but I think we were making him um, gray boards that looked like the side of a ship.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think
2: we were doing those. Yeah, yeah. So, and then I think we kind of stopped doing those. I can't remember, but – I mean he could tell you more than I can, but uh, I think he stopped doing those because – he was afraid that it reminded a shark of a shark. And, you know, <laughs> get so, but I was just little man. I remember going up there when I was about 10, 11 years old, twelve years old, a few times, you know. And then uh, uh, going up there a lot after that. Yeah. So those,
1: those arid brushes uh, are. CCS
2: so... Central Coast Surfboards. Yeah. That Central was coast. the that was the surf shop we used to sell our boards to.
4: Yeah.
2: Those. those you, they, they competed
0: in the WSA
2: and everything. So you guys cruised up and down the coast. Well, yeah, I used to go up there to do the WSA up at uh, Cayucas Pier, Yeah. and yeah. it was uh, very interesting. And um, mostly San Diego, though I only went up there once in a while to do the contest up there. But we mostly went to San Diego and just around town because there was back then there was divisions like uh, there was like uh, the one A division, the one A B division, like certain areas like um,
0: yeah. like
2: there was like the full Huntington area where all the Huntington boys we all surfed the WSAs, and once in a while we linger out if it was like an invitational we'd go down to south or we'd go up north and it would be like um uh say our section is one versus section two yeah you know and that's kind of what it was back in the day yeah i think Huntington's division five or area five whatever they um, did maybe it was now it is but back then i think it was we were 1a and they're 1ab or something i can't so, remember
0: so well, awesome so
2: you mentioned you started shaping early, right? How old were you when you started yeah. shaping? Well, my dad came to me once when I was, you know, cleaning the shop one summer, and I started doing ding repairs when I was a little, little younger than 11. But that summer, I started doing ding repairs and cleaning the shop. And he goes, "Hey, Rich, I got this board. I don't really want to finish. You want to finish it?" So I said, "Okay, shoots." And he gives me this big blank, and I'm like, "On." Well, if I'm going to finish this thing, I want to be able to ride it. He goes, "Well, then there's my." You know, there's my templates. It's you make yourself a four nine or whatever you want to make yourself. So Says okay, so from watching him and Bob Hurley and you know seeing what was going on, I went in there and did my outline and cut it out and started. My dad wouldn't let me use planer because I was too small and I could barely see over the board because the racks were so high. <laughs> um, you know, I just got out the sure form and started sure forming a blank all the way down to a, I think it was four ten. 19 or 19 and a quarter wide or something like that so it came out looking like complete knifed edge rails uh just the funkiest looking thing you've ever seen i went in there and spent like three days airbrushing it put these one inch checkers all over it which i don't know what the hell i was thinking and then i got in there get ready to glass it my dad wouldn't help me so i just said okay you know watching the guys in their glass and the board, I said, oh what the hell i'll just do this And so i pulled the glass cut it out The way they, you know, I watched them do it, shot off a batch of resin and in the middle of it, the thing went off on me. (laughs) (laughs) What the hell's going on here? And I ran out, I go, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And then, um, so when you say it went off,
1: it was smoking.
2: No, no. The the resin went off. Hardening. Yeah. It started hardening. Okay. And I'm like, didn't know what to do. I think John Collins was there. He goes, Oh, just pull the glass off real quick. Hurry up. Pull it off. I pulled the glass off, do it on the ground and start cleaning all the resin off the board. And then my dad came in freaking out, going, "What happened? What happened?" I'm like, "Going, oh, the resin went off on me." He goes, "What? You raised the resin and that glass, man?" Is like, "Man, that cost me like three or four dollars." Yeah, freaked out on me or something. I'm like, "Well, dude, you're the one who said you wouldn't help me, so I wouldn't did it myself."
0: Oh, it's so awesome.
2: So right then and there, I think it was John or my dad—I can't remember. You know, they showed me steps the steps, mixed, showed me how to you know mix the resin correctly and how much resin to use. Dude, I didn't know. I just you know putting this much re- a certain amount of resin at five cc's i probably put that much resin on 25 cc's i don't know <laughs> yeah you know so but no you know you learn from your mistakes. got the bottom done got the deck hot cut it got it all the fins on and everything like that unfortunately i couldn't sand it because i was too damn small the machines were bigger than i was yeah so rick wheeler sanded it for me and did a really good job and yeah. it worked <laughs> um no <laughs> it went fast would you make but a we, twin fin swallowtail it, It it went really, really fast once I took off on the thing. But when you went to turn it, it just kind of dug rails because there was no like, there was no like, you know, if you can see my hand, it was just it just looked like that. So, (laughs) just a nice. But you know, after a few more years, a couple more years, you know, my dad had another blank he didn't want to finish, and I couldn't cut that one down, and so I finished it, came out totally killer. I didn't ride it. We turned around and sold it, I think for like two hundred eighty-five bucks. And a few months ago, I found it. No way. No, sick. That's Second awesome. board I ever made was a twin fin. Sick!
0: Wow! Incredible! I've got,
2: at, I've got it at home. So, so. O- obviously, your dad was your
1: first sponsor. Who? who was your? Um,
2: uh, well, t- if you want to call making me a board once every year, if that a sponsor, <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> yeah, but was Actually, he, uh, No, no, no. Quicksilver was my first sponsor. Really? I got, I got free. I got a couple free pairs of shorts. Nice. How, How were, old are you?
0: Were, were you? Who was getting you up and down? To the, the contests like the WSAs and stuff and, and well, traveling,
2: because my, my dad was you know driving. He he was doing them too, so he was tacking me up and down the coast, surfing those with the family. he would sleep in the van with my mom and my sister, you know. Nice. So it was it was interesting camping out. It was fun. So if you want to call that a sponsor, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. You know. So so, it was, so you know
1: who was, who was the team guy um, back then when when you got on Quicksilver. Was it uh, – it wasn't Robbie Todd um, cause he's
2: – No, there was no team guy. I think it was just um, Bob McKnight at really? the time.
1: Okay.
2: I can't remember. But yeah, because Parker, Preston, Danny, all the boys you know, had Quicksilvers. My dad actually came up uh, – designed the first Quicksilver checkered shorts. And I think it was Parker that came out with the first stripes. And they were all sewed on. All the checkers were sewed on separately. The stripes were sewed on separately. Wow everything was cut and sewed on separately there was nothing there was no patterns nothing back in the day yeah and my dad my dad still has i think the first pair of quicksilver shorts that's checkers on them so they were they were the they were the quicksilver logo the old wave logo checkers yeah so and uh he came up with all those designs and then um uh that's kind of like it just took off and i'm i'm once you know it was too hard sewing all that stuff up too expensive i think bob went over to australia talked to the boys over there and they found a way to get patterns made yeah so 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 how long did you
1: how long did you ride for quicksilver
2: um only i think a couple years until some certain things happened and um uh that was it you know so you you turned pro pretty young right (laughs) yeah i uh After doing all the amateur contests and stuff like that and the WSAs, um, some reason I never did the NSSAs because of some odd reason. I can't remember right now, but it might come back to me. So I said, you know, forget you guys. If you don't let me do that. And oh, yeah, they said I couldn't do the NSSAs because I was too young.
4: Hmm. I was 13
2: and they wouldn't let me do the NSSAs. I guess some reason back then I'd be 14 or the guy that was running out of time just didn't like my dad and didn't want me around. one of the two yeah one of the two Um, could have been both but I'm (laughs) thinking maybe it was the other one so um, yeah when (laughs) you know one summer uh, OP decided to have a competition called the OP Surf Shop Challenge back in 1983 and we had a team but we are missing a fourth guy and I just said I'll do it (laughs) but it had to be pro because there was no you couldn't be amateur and accept money. So I just turned pro at 14 and we went down there and um, I finished 17th and I think our team finished. I, I, I know in the top five, I'm trying to think maybe second or third, but I know we were in the top five. Wow! And where was that at? That was down at churches churches. Sick. All the boys were there. Sunny. That's where I met Sunny Garcia buttons was there. All the boys from Hawaii were there. It was, it was awesome. It was a big deal um, then the most, the most classic thing about that contest is Buttons went out there and was just freaking tearing it up like there's no tomorrow in his heat, just going ballistic. Like 360 helicopters, five on a wave, eight on a wave, going nuts, big old cutbacks, all kinds of crazy stuff. And the heat was over. And then he stands up after the heat and he just pulls off like six or seven 360s on one wave all the way down the line. And then they give it <laughs> to qualify disqualifies own.
1: Oh, no way.
2: Yeah. And you know what? It was great for the other teams. But we were so pissed off that he did it. We tried to all. We all jumped in and tried to fight that they would disqualify him. <laughs> Even though we knew we would get our butts kicked because he just just dominated that. Yeah, just ripped it. So, so what, what? What kind of money was in that uh, event?
0: Like, what did you your team you know place? You said top, I think, maybe third, yeah, or I think, second, third.
2: Yeah, I think we actually finished second because I think we got four grand. I think or Damn. something like that. That's pretty. They you know, got somebody. thousand,
0: thousand each for man. I team. think
2: so. We got we either got two thousand or four thousand. I think the team that won got like eight grand or something. I can't remember, but I, I remember getting I was like, what? <laughs> you know, because if you won a thousand bucks back in nineteen eighty three, man, that was like winning ten grand right now or a yeah. hundred grand right now. Absolutely. Oh my gosh! Bucks, you thousand know, bucks could pay rent for five months back then. You know. So was your so, dad
1: uh, supportive if you turned in pro,
2: at fourteen? Um, everybody laughed at me. <laughs> thought I was an idiot what a dumbass you know <laughs> so I just proved them wrong yeah. yeah you did
0: and, the, you know? and, the, and then you kind of obviously couldn't do the amateur events what what um, what US contests well, like pro-ams well, were there
2: well the, interesting because um, I think Ian Cairns and Alyssa took over the NSSA back then I'm not sure because they came out with a um, an Explore pro series oh wow that Greg Mungle, Dave Palmer, John Palmiter, Um, Craig Coleman, uh, Mike Crookshank, the Lamb Brothers, um, Todd Martin—I uh, could go on and on. Yeah. I mean, the McNulty's—they all started surfing it. Wow! And so I started surfing that and learning from them. Jim Hogan—I mean, all those guys. You know, Mike Parsons. Everybody started surfing them. And then Joey Brand came up with the PSWA that same year, in 1980. It was 84, 85. I think Joy Brand came up with that series, and they all started surfing that. And I'm like, wait a minute, I want to surf that. Yeah, yeah. I started surfing it too. So it actually part, you know, worked out pretty well because I I still got to compete, and then then I started coming over here to you know going over to Hawaii a lot. Yeah. And that's when I, you know, because I, I started competing against the Hawaiian boys, all the little boys back in the day in the US at US, US um, with the US Championships. You know, yeah. that's when I met Ricky Irons and the, the uh, Brock Little and his and his uh, and um, the little brothers and uh, the Badros and um, Shmoo. Guy. maybe who, Shmoo? who did who did you end up uh, getting sponsored after Quicksilver? Like,
0: how did that roll um, into the next after- sponsor?
2: Interesting. After Quicksilver, um, I uh, was on O'Neill. Also, O'Neill was my first wetsuit sponsor since I was about 10, 11 years old. Because Tim Bernardi was a Newport local, and you know he sponsored all the you know surfers down there too. And the, so he got me on there, and I got some cool wetsuits. You know, for O'Neill back in the day it was just awesome. I mean, oh, he's still pretty damn cool, you know. Yeah. But um, so I rode for the O'Neill for a few years until when I turned pro, they basically. Um, said no, they're not going to pay me, and they're going to worry about the older guys like, you know, Sean Thompson and whoever was on the team at the time. Yeah. And I said okay, whatever, you know, I'm good to go. And then uh, my dad said, hey, my old buddy Wayne Brown owns Alita. Maybe we can get you on the Alita wetsuits. So I said okay, let's go talk to him. Went down there, talked to him. He's known me before. I, you know, he went to you know, he's known my mom and dad since before I was born, and. Um, we talked guy. I goes, Oh, cool. You know, right. I'll give you some suits. What are you looking for? Oh, you know, I'll get some suits and whatever else. He goes, well, any monthly salary you want to get or anything like that? I go, well, yeah. What do you think? And I go, that'd be great. I love it. He goes, how about if I give you a hundred dollars a month? Sick. Dude, 14 years old, this guy's going to pay me a hundred bucks a month. I was like, dude, let me sign on the dotted line. Yeah. Yeah. So he gave me like three new wetsuits and like a hundred dollar bill or a hundred uh, or a check for a hundred bucks on the spot. Made nice. up the contract, signed the contract, so I wrote for him for about four or five years. And then um I uh
0: Alita was big back then, you know. Oh it yeah, was, it got
2: yeah, it got really big, especially when uh Palometer started riding up, uh Richie uh Richie Rudolph, Matt Keckley, yeah, you know, Lonnie Brothers, you know, all the boys started riding for those things. Yeah, but, I mean,
0: O'Neill and Rip Curl kind of dominated the, the, the world market, but Alita and, like, Victory kind of owned, like, Southern, yeah, California. Southern California.
2: Yeah, Victory Victory came on strong for a while for Huntington and Southern California. Alita, you know, Alita did very well coast to coast. And then um, it was interesting because after that year, when I was 14 staying o- over in Hawaii with the Bedros, uh, somehow when I turned 15 I wanted to come over here and I got hooked up with Bradshaw. Um, oh, I remember because um, Sun Deck clothing from Florida that used to sponsor um, uh, Kelly Slater and Sean Slater and Matt Keckley, well, they somehow got a hold of me or my dad saying, hey, I want to see if your son wants to ride for Sun Deck." I'm like, what? Huh? I've yeah. never seen him in the magazines, you know?
4: Yeah.
2: And um, so, yeah, because I'm going to go to Hawaii, and they said, oh, we'll hook you up with Bradshaw, because Bradshaw was on Sun Deck at the time, and so I came over here, and stayed with Bradshaw, and then Kelly and Sean came over and stayed, when Kelly was like, I don't know, he was little, he was little, little, <laughs> um, he's like almost four years younger than me, and I was 15, so he's like 11 or 12 at the time, Yeah, wow. me, and Sean, me and Sean are like the same age, and uh, so, you know, that's how we met, and became friends, and then I started living with Bradshaw. I think I lived with him for like five more years, maybe. Wow. Four or five more years. And that was it. You know, Alita and Sundack. And then I had the other stuff that came around. And so, oh, there was trim. There was trim clothing too in between Quicksilver and Sundack. What was I forgot. trim? Trim. Yeah. Who? Scott Scott Pod Vanuelos rode for trim Sick. with me. Yeah. <laughs> what, Just saw where him was the other from? day down here in Sacramento. Trim was from St. Clemente? No, no. Scott's from um, Huntington. But Trim was from this guy that started it and he actually sponsored the uh, the World Cup over here at uh, wow. Sunset when I was 14. But my dad was being an ass and wouldn't let me come over here because he made me work for him. <laughs> I never so,
0: even heard of Trim. I don't remember Trim.
2: I don't remember either. Yeah, because you guys were too young.
0: They, they put uh, ma- uh, ads in the and stuff? Were they legit? They put,
2: they, they put a couple ads in the magazines. Everybody oh. made fun of me because I looked as white as a goes. I was a 14 old little skinny Skeletor at the time. Yeah.
0: What was your what was, did they, what was your first ad in the mag or first mag shot? Like
2: My first mag shot was from Mike Moyer when I was 11 years old doing Off the Lip, full-page color. Wow. And then, then next to it, there was a picture of me walking um, with my board in black and white from Mike Moyer also. So I had a half-page with a write-up with a full-page color next to it.
0: Nice. So right. you are you were already getting coverage and people knew cuz you're Lance's son and you were ripping so as well. You know, nobody
2: nobody knew me until that magazine. Yeah. So once I made the magazine when the next when when that after that magazine came out and all the boys from Hawaii came over to uh, California to surf the uh, US championships, I was sitting I'll never forget this, but I was sitting at the entrance of the banquet and I think it was in San Diego or, or down in Sacramento. I can't remember where we're at. You know, you're a kid; you never know where you're at. And um, I remember some kids walking in. I remember Brock Brock Little walking in, and Ricky Irons walking in, and I think it was Noah Badreau and maybe even Christian Badreau, I can't remember Christian's. I think a year younger than me, and uh, Noah's a year older than me. And um, they just started looking at me, like staring at me, and I'm like, okay. What's going on? Then a couple of them walked out, walked all the way in, and then I think it was Ricky that's kind of sat across from me and started looking at me, and he goes, "Hey," I go, "Yeah." He goes, "Are you Richie Collins?" <laughs> and I went, "It could have been Brock. I can't remember who who was who, but it, and I go, "I go, yeah." And he goes, "So you're the one that makes all the magazines, huh?" <laughs> and I went, "I go, yeah. I've been in one." He goes, "Oh, so you're the one that's." We're here to be. I'm like, and you are. <laughs> oh, my name, I I can't remember. I think it was. At, I had to have been Ricky Irons, and mm-hmm. he, he goes, I'm from Hawaii, Rocky Point, and I'm like, oh, cool, nice. I can't wait to go over there. You know.
4: <laughs> yeah. And,
2: um, that's how I met all the boys over here. You know. That's and crazy. then I came over here when I was 13 and stayed right next to Ricky Irons, and we became really good friends. And oh, Marty Thomas, which used to be Marty McClure back in the day. Yeah. He was living right there with his mom because he's from uh, Seal Beach. Yeah. And then um, I think Ricky and uh, Mark Angula said, hey, do you know a guy named Marty McClury? I know, Marty Thomas? I go, no. He goes, well, he says he knows you. He's from Seal Beach. He said he grew up in competing. He's he like, oh, I have no idea. And so he showed up. And he goes, hey, Richie, what's up? And I go, oh, Marty McClury. No, what? So he changed oh, his last name. So, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, a lot of story, man. It's pretty
0: cool. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's a beauty of our industry. And I mean, a lot of, you know, like you meet people along the way and they you know surfing's a, a small you know industry a small network and you're you're going to be friends with those guys forever
2: oh yeah me and ricky still talk here and there i see i haven't heard of, from budro for a while but went from uh, uh i mean from noah f- for a while but christian once in a while he says hi on facebook but his little brother mike micah we always talk on facebook nice. because when i was living over here with them at Waimea, though him and his sister were like five and seven you know, yeah. just little, little toddlers. Tell us so,
1: more uh, about uh, surfing Hawaii and and, and having uh, Ken Bradshaw freaking get you out there, you know? Like, well,
2: it's interesting because when I started staying with him, I brought this 6'10 over and a 7'6. It was a 6'10 double wing square tail and a, a 7'6 double wing swallow. And... I pretty much rode those boards every day at sunset. And then I had the shorter boards for Rocky Point and stuff like that. And learning how to surf Rocky Point, you know, when I first came over here and stayed with the Angulas was pretty scary. You know, you got the Death Rock and stuff like that. And then the next year when I stayed with the Bedros, you know, walking all the way from YMA all the way up to Rocky Point and stuff. And then they were hitchhiking. and I was scared to hitchhike. You know, but that was the way to do it around here learning how to surf all these spots and then when I started staying with Bradshaw it was like you better be up by 5.30 in the morning and be ready because we're paddling out at dark. (laughs) Every day. He's on it. Every single day no matter what. Yeah. It didn't matter if it was closing out or if it was two feet. We were paddling out at dark. Yeah. And I would be asleep well I couldn't really sleep because you know the waves are breaking and there's cars driving by his house all night and Every single morning, I'd be like, my eyes wide open, waiting for the knock on the door. <laughs> so the few times it was a knock on the door, get up, we're out there. How big is it? It doesn't matter. Grab your 6'10". Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Did he make you surf wine, man? Um, No, he never did. Okay. So, uh, because it was never really a spot to compete. It yeah. was just, because he was competing in the Triple Crown, but, oh well... He didn't do pipe and hollywood. he just served for sunset. So we yeah. caddied for each other. So I would stay with him before the contest. He taught me how to caddy. He taught me where to line up. He taught me which is which, the swell directions, how to time everything. I mean, it was like it was like throwing twenty years of experience into one in session. A month. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. I had to learn.
1: Yeah.
2: And and he says, You make a mistake out here, you die. Yeah. Simple fact, and we didn't we didn't walk the beach and paddle out. We paddle out through camis at dark. (laughs) Okay. And I'm like, dude, there's boulders over here. He's all, just follow me. I know the route. I know the path. There's a path you take. You go right out. And all of a sudden, you know, you're starting to get hit by these bumps, and it's pitch dark, and it's like you can just see a crack of light with the mountains. You're like, you're scared out of your mind. Yeah, I was 15. I was freaking out. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So every single winter. How? I lived with them for like two months. What was and your
1: favorite spot out there? I, I kind of picture you liking uh, Eva a lot.
2: No sunset, my sunset. favorite. I love the I love the rush of paddling into the wave. And by the way, I'm afraid of heights, so every time I paddle in waves, I usually shut my eyes <laughs> before I take off. <laughs> and um, no way. Yeah, actually, I can't. <laughs> Like I said, my first my first trip over here when I was thirteen, the first big wave I took off on uh, West Peak Sunset, I pal into one. I, I look, I I freaked out, I panicked, I pulled back, you know. But the second wave I took off on, I had to close my eyes to make to drop in. That is you know? incredible. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it was it was uh, that first year I, I stayed with them. The second year I stayed with them, um, I brought some more boards over, and then he. Then he said, "Hey, let me make you a board." I go, "Okay, let's do a Richie call. let do a, uh, a Richie Bradshaw, Kenny Collins model." <laughs> it sounds good. So we went over there into his bay and we shaped it. He used my my outlines and his outlines. We put both of my dad's and my expertise and Ken's expertise together. We shaped the board and it worked insane. I was on Pump uh, Filthy Habits riding that board. Is that the board uh, you're riding? That's cool. Board- board was insane i still have it nice awesome Oh, so, it's not in two pieces it's in one nice so so going back
0: to like early like you know you're competing in the nssa ps you know the PSWA was kind of taking place was there was there you know um was there ratings like where you had oh, yeah. to like there or you ratings. just like trials you know did you how did, well, how did that work first year well was, there was
2: there was ratings the um the uh, you know say Explorer Division that came up with the Pro Am series, uh, the Pro series, that was ratings, and it's been a long time. But my first year didn't go so well because, like I said, when I was fourteen, I was still learning. Yeah. Yep. And when I when I, the winner of thirteen, when I was over here for December, I grew. Um. An inch and a half in nine days. What? Okay. So when I came back in December for Christmas, when I was over here for nine days, I was sick with strip throat and everything Every for like the whole time, full fever, but I still made myself go surfing because I'm the only one on the North Shore by myself. All the kids are supposed to be in school and it was empty. Nobody surfing at all. Wow. So I found my way around to V-Land, you know, and... So that following year in 1983, I, when I came home that January, my dad made me a 5'3", because I brought a 5'1 to Hawaii, and I was taller than it when I came home in nine days. So I grew like an inch and a half to two inches, Okay. In nine days. I'm not kidding you. That's so weird. And, did you have gnarly groin pains and like I was so, I was so messed up because I, I was a windsurfer too. So I windsurfed backyards 8 to 10, 12 feet with what? Roddy Nash back in the day watching him windsurf. I was really into windsurfing at the time too.
1: Ken Bradshaw got you into windsurfing?
2: No, no. My dad did with Steve Walden back in 1979 I think when windsurfing started coming wow. on. Um, that's when my dad started doing windsurfing and he, and he sponsored – number two one of the number two windsurfers in the world court larned and he um also sponsored the i think it was in the olympics back in 1980 or 82 i can't remember the the guy that won uh in the olympics um in windsurfing i can't remember his name but my dad ended up making like over 100 boards for germany and stuff like that windsurfers but um so when i got that board Made me a 5.3 and I, you know, I glassed it and put the fins on and sand and everything because I was building boards by then. I, by the end of January, I was an inch to two inches taller than it. <laughs> so I was stuck. Tuberty hit. I was stuck on a 5.8 Lasers app. By the way, Lasers apps, when they came out, were the worst board. Sorry, Shane Haran. the worst board ever known to mankind. Yeah. Some people liked them, but they sucked. But um, my dad stuck me on this 5'8 laser zap and would not make me another board. Why? And I was so pissed off because this board did not work. Because he didn't want to make me another board and I grew out of it because he was a selfish son of a bitch and wouldn't make me any boards.
0: <laughs> Stop yeah. growing. You're you're, you're, exactly. you're costing me
2: money. Exactly. So thank God, in about a few more months, four fins came out. So he had no choice but to make me a four fin. <laughs> He made me a five six four fin, and it worked really good. And that's when the the new designs of fins came out and stuff. So um, being little like that, growing that much, surfing against all the pros that were already established in that NSSA series, going, stepping up to the PSAA series that Joey Brown started, that was a big turning point because in the NSSA I would make it out of maybe one heat, maybe two heats. Never ever did any well. Didn't, never did good at all. Yeah. And, but I still finished in like the top 16 out of like 50 surfers, which wasn't bad. Yeah. And then finally, finally I made a final and finished second.
1: Nice. Where was that? And which
2: contest? That was the NSSA. It was down in San Diego somewhere. I think it was Torrey Pines, maybe. Okay. You know how bad Torrey Pines is for contests.
4: Yeah.
2: Uh, 15 minute paddle out from the beach start, closing out four to six foot. You got 15 minutes to catch four waves. In the final, you get 15 minutes, six waves. Seriously? So Come retarded. On. Dumbest thing you ever heard. Hot, yeah. Four it, man heats You six have to man pay heaps? for that too. You have to yeah, get the money for, yeah. for that. Yeah. And How many people I, in a heat? I won 85. It was, it was 125 for first and 85 bucks for second.
0: <laughs> How many
1: people in the heat? Four. No, four, six,
2: six. Six guys yeah. in the heat. In the final. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I got dumb. 85 bucks.
1: So when was the turning point where where your talent and, and being a pro?
2: Well, what happened was after that year and then the PSWA started up, I think I was 15. Yeah, I was 15 because I couldn't drive yet. Um, I met some boys from Oceanside and I pretty much started going down there and making some of my friends' uh, boards down there and uh, hanging out with those guys and became part of their crew down there. Okay. And... Uh, so I pretty much started living down there a lot. Um, Who were those and,
1: guys? Lambrezy um, or
2: huh? Not Lambrezy right? Well, Lambrezy came on the scene because you know he was a professional boogie boarder, for what <laughs> I know. Of. And so I guess he was getting picked on, or people were making fun of him, or something like that. So he started surfing, and and he hate and he's the kind of guy that's fully competition, like gnarly com- com- competitor, yeah. biggest ass in the water you've ever met. Wait you a know. minute. We're talking to Richie Collins, though. <laughs> no, he was. Where do you think I learned it from? You think I just learned it because I learned it? What? Great Mongol, Mark, uh, 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 John Parmeter, Dave Parmeter, Craig Coleman, uh, uh, <laughs> Sunny. Not not Sunny. No, it was way before that. I learned all this stuff way before that. That's so awesome. I learned awesome. if you if if you show up to the beach at a contest and you think you're a pro. And you ask me for wax, I will kick your ass. <laughs> Don't ever ask me for wax, okay? If you walk up to somebody and you look at them, you meet them, you stick your hand out, and you try to crush their hand, okay? There are no friends in this industry. Everybody is your enemy, okay? You guys have no idea the way I was brought up.
1: Yeah.
2: So, who is the most intimidating? and Who is the worst? Was it um, Bam Bam? No. Not him whatsoever. Um, it was pretty much everybody. Here's the most intimidating person. The one, the guy that looks at you with a bad stare and says nothing. <laughs> and, the, and the, the silent killer. And that was Mike Crookshank. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. He's the one you didn't mess with. She Is he, he a big boy back then? There. Oh, yeah. He would just sit there. He'd look at you. And turn, turn away, and you just knew he was going to rip you one next to the other. Wow, that's <laughs> there was, crazy. There was no beating that guy. That guy would just – he wouldn't just sit on you. He would – just being around him, just the oar around him yeah, in the water crazy. and even on land was yeah. like you could feel the spears and the bombs <laughs> going off into your head. Your body just did not get near him. That's funny. <laughs> It took me a couple years, you know, I I think about a year and a half for him to finally come up and shake my hand. Wow. And and show me respect. So So
1: I I think I steered you the wrong way with the, because you were talking about Oceanside and and that was like one of the turning points. Was it? Yeah,
2: yeah. Well, Oceanside, because I was staying with my friends down there and they would take me, I'd go, hey, dude, I'll shape you a board if you come pick me up because I got a contest down there. I won't charge you for the shape, but you just pay for the glass job. Yeah. And yeah. Plan, okay. Fine. My buddy would come pick me up and drive me down there. He'd take me back and forth in the contest, and I would sleep on his couch. And uh, Tom Jones, good old Tom Jones, and I met all of his friends, um, uh, Mark McGinnis, uh, Robbie, uh, rest in peace. Robbie is a great guy, super good surfer. Chewy Reyna, uh,
0: Chewy. We were,
2: me and Chewy were always at each other's throats because we were competing against each other. Yeah. And. Uh, um, my really good friend Eddie Easterman um, uh, Jamie uh, I can't remember his last name and then uh, another really good friend we became really good friends with Paul Vasquez uh, just full crew man yeah got in got in with the full crew. Did, did you get like uh, hit up by, by some
0: of your friends you said you said you, you were shaping boards for for your buddy to pick you up Was rise, there other guys?
2: Yeah. Oh yeah for rise. hey um, I need a favor. I'll shape you a board for free. Just pay for everything else and I won't, you won't have to pay for the. I mean, dude, gas prices back then were like, what, 15, 25 cents a gallon or something like that. 30 cents a gallon back when 1983 or something, you know, they're super cheap. And, you know, I, I get paid 10 or 15 bucks to shape a board, you know, and then they wouldn't have to pay the 10 bucks and 10 bucks is like a hundred bucks. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it was, it was a big deal back then.
0: Win win for everybody. You get experience, you get rides, yep. you get to you know improve your shaping skills, and yep.
2: uh, you know connect with your boys. So yeah, like, you know going down to Oceanside too, and they you know actually you know who was a gnarly competitor? Um, uh, oh man, he's a shaper uh, back then. Everybody got his boards back then. Um, you know who else was not? Uh, the Bar brothers. They oh, were gnarly. Yeah. The oh, David and Paul Bar. Oh my yeah. gosh, those two guys were heavy and yeah. they didn't show me any respect for almost two years yeah david Barr showed me some respect but paul i don't think he started talking to me till i was like 16 or 17 <laughs> <laughs> so but um uh what's his name uh, michael uh was it michael Mike. mike B- michael michael burns is that who it was uh burn surfboards burn surfboards michael baron mike what is it baron michael Barron? yeah michael baron yeah down there. I think that's – yeah, he was a heavy competitor, man. Huh. Talk about a scratcher. Yeah. Man, he'd scratch your eyeballs out if you weren't paying attention. You wouldn't even know who did it.
4: Yeah.
1: So after yeah. after that second place uh, finish, what was the next big contest you won? Do you remember?
2: Well, I don't really ever remember winning anything. I just always placed. Um, but when the PSAA started, God, it was a nightmare, man. Because everybody went – the NSSA thing kind of dropped off. The PSAA Joy Browns thing took off. And, man, there was more guys starting to surf that than I didn't even know about. Yeah, I mean, it was – I mean, these guys were coming out of nowhere. They're coming out of the freaking woodworks, you know? Yeah, because
1: this, this is like Dino and Dino.
2: She well, this is, this is way before Dino and Dino oh, and those even guys. before this is, that, those guys didn't even compete then yet. Okay. With they're still doing the, NSSA amateurs. Okay. They weren't allowed to do the PSWA yet. You know, those guys didn't start. Those guys didn't turn pro till they're eighteen.
1: Okay.
2: So and Dino, I think, is a year older than me, maybe year and a half or something like that. Okay. So, um, when I was doing all these, these are the big boys, man. These are the when Jim Hogan's, Mike Parsons, and stuff started surfing. Well, Mike t- Mike couldn't surf because he was in the top sixteen. But Jim Hogan's, the McNulty's, yeah. I mean, yeah, you guys, you guys don't know. You ever try to get two of McNulty's in a heat? Give me a break. When you get Brian and, um, Parents? Brian, and, uh, Terrence? No, Terrence, Terrence wasn't doing it. He was amateur. It was Brian and his older brother. Uh, Trevor. Trevor. No. Trevor? No. no uh, Brian go. McNulty and Terrence. Brian. Uh ah, dude. Sorry, I can't remember your name right now. Yeah. Um. Anyway. Those two guys in a heat, you might as well not even surf a heat.
4: Yeah.
2: It was like, dude, they'd sit on one side of you and you could never go.
1: Was was Andy you know? Fomenko somebody to, to mess oh,
2: with? Oh, Anthony Fomenko, yep. Yeah. He was mellow, though. He was mellow. He wasn't a scratcher. He was mellow. He was a silent and deadly partner out there. Yeah. You know, he would just take you out without even you knowing it. So, um, uh, but that's kind of how I learned. You know, I'd go out there and I'd just go out there and I'd kill one heat, and I'd get out there and lose my next heat. Kill one heat, lose the next heat. It was just ongoing and finally I make it out two heats. You know, at 15, 16, got better and better. And so by the time I was 16, you know, I got more confidence. I learned more strategies coming into Hawaii and living with Bradshaw. you know, started surfing the uh, Triple Crown over here, sunset comps and, um, you know, trying to get in a pipe but it wasn't easy. Trying to get in a hall wasn't easy. Easy. Yeah. Um, but, you know learning all that by the time uh i was uh, was at 85 86 i think it was 86 when i turned 17 is when i started doing good in the in the psaa and i got more known over here over in hawaii In the triple crown made a couple uh gotten a couple magazine shots from over here in hawaii um made a couple news articles over in hawaii and um you know, I became one of the ones to beat out at Sunset because I was good at it.
1: Wow!
2: Finished, I think I finished seventeenth over here at Sunset one year in the Triple Crown in 1986. I, fin- I think I finished seventeenth. Okay. So, that's... and that's that's starting from the bottom of the trials. Yeah. And there's they were I think they were four to six man heats back in there. Dave, wow. Tw- Twenty five minute heats, four waves. Jeez. And
0: Just catching four waves at Sunset in that time period is mental. Let alone. In a contest.
2: And watching – I mean wa- riding them all the way through valves to get extra points <laughs> and paddling all the way back out when it's six to eight feet. <laughs> There's no jet ski assistance. Ride, man.
0: Lots of widgets. Length of ride,
2: Hey, watching Michael Hoag pull it off was incredible a few times. Him kicking off on some big northwest peaks coming through, riding the wave all the way through and watching him come through, just jumping up, hitting those bounces, hitting the big chops, making the section – Coming up, sometimes the wave was perfect. Him trying to hit the lip at the end, either getting demolished or making it. That was inspiration, man. And you're like, you know, I got to do that too. Yeah. Brad tells all. Yep, got to do it. <laughs> and you know, that's reef is like a couple inches deep. Once you hit the lip and come down. Yeah, a little brilliant. little
0: little flat tabletop in there.
2: Oh yeah. So.
1: So so um, tell us like how you transition from. PS double A's to ASP
2: well I actually started surfing the ASP when I was 14 <laughs> I turned pro
0: because they did the trials back then so you could sign up and do the trials or
2: there was yeah there was the trials into the main event but you gotta understand I was one of the first members of the ASP <laughs> when I was 14 yeah yeah I grew up I grew up with Meg we were we, that was her first job on the ASP and I signed up for the ASP um, membership in 1983.
1: Uh, wow. Sick. That's when it
2: started. Because 81, 82 is the IPS deal, and 83 is when, yeah. um, what was it Ian and PT that started that? I think so. ASP?
4: Yeah. Think?
2: Yeah, for sure. So, and that's when I signed up. So I got to surf the Stubbies at Lowers. Nice. What? Okay, yep. They had it
0: at Lowers, not Ocean yeah.
2: Sides? Yep, they had it at Lowers for the first. first couple years and then and then um that was one year at lowers and I think one more year or after that they didn't have it and then they went or the next year they went to Oceanside North Jetty but I got to surf the OP Pro from there on out so so what was your first big win ASP my first big ASP win was the O'Neill Coldwater Classic in 1987
1: wow was that 87
2: that was 87
1: were you wearing was, the I, Alita I the
2: Black the and Yellow elite? Wait, no, 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 no. I started the tour in 1987 in Japan, and it was a it was a furlough year or something. It it skipped years. It it ran into the next year. So I did Japan. Um, I think there's Hawaii. There's Australia, and then the, the ASP used to end in March, April, at uh, Australia, on Australia. Yeah. So I was rated like 40th going into um, maybe 30th or 40th, something like going into the Santa Cruz event. And I, I, you know, I used to go up there when I was a kid because I had family that lived there, and uh, showed up. And it was like eight to ten foot bombs out the big, big peaks and stuff. And there was a WSA contest going on. I couldn't tell paddle. Out. I was pissed. But anyway, I showed up with my mohawk and. My Skeletor outfit with my sister, and went out there. went the contest was over, started surfing, getting all kinds of stink eyes, and people hassling me and giving me a hard time, and never really getting in my face, but kind of from afar. Yeah. And um, you know, that was eighty-seven. That was nineteen-eight, because that was eighty-eight. 88 so eighty-seven, okay. I started the tour, and it and it ran over to the next year in eighty-eight. Got it. So they used to do. They used to run over year. So, uh. Hawaii was run in December, Pipe Masters was for the, you know, the Triple Crown was, you know, in December, yeah. November, sure. December, and then they'd go from here, they'd go back to Australia.
4: Yeah.
2: I think Pipe was actually in January, I can't remember, someone else will, will probably write in and say something, but um, it would go over to the next year, and then from from Hawaii, they would go to Australia for the end of the year for two months. Yeah. Or a month or something for the last three contests of the year. So they came up that year, my first year on tour at the O'Neill Coldwater Classic, went up there. Who was in the final with you? It was me and Marty Thomas. Wow. No way. Yeah, it was a heavy he contest was, because – He was team me O'Neill and, too, right? Me and, him, me and him both came through the uh, trials. Yeah. So was he
0: he was right for then, right? Yeah, I'm I'm looking at
2: WSL
0: pulling up some stats, and you beat Sean Thompson in the semi. Yep. You beat Barton Lynch in the quarters. Yep. You beat your fellow Californian in the third round, Mike Parsons. So you he was you,
2: not happy because he hated me. Ha ah, ha Mike.
0: <laughs> you beat you beat Tom Tom Carroll in round two. So you took out some
2: heavy, heavy dudes.
0: Right you took out some heavy hitters. Tom Carroll in round two.
2: And you, wow. know who hated, you know who hated me more? Who I beat in the 33rd round? Look who I beat in the 33rd round.
0: Burnsworth. Burnsworth. He was so <laughs> bent.
2: He was so bent. Scott, you're going to laugh. I'll never forget when I beat you. Uh, he was so burnt and pissed off that me. He <laughs> hated my ass. Uh. And then I beat Tom Carroll, another goofy footer in the next heat. And then Mike Parsons thought he was going to get payback for me beating Scott, and I smoked Parsons. Ha! <laughs> I wish we were filming this right now. Oh, so good. Hey, oh. I mean,
0: you—you you know, everybody knows you—you—you you, you wore your your passion, you know, on your sleeve, and you no, didn't. Dude, I had back. no
2: sleeves. My sleeves were rolled up. You, you, you didn't.
0: You didn't hold back whatsoever, and oh. you know. um so take it. Yeah. St-
2: it was. Uh, it was pumping then, right? Um, no, actually, during the trials the waves were pretty good, and then the heat against Farn- Farnsworth, the waves were actually really good, and uh, I I don't know how I beat him because Goofy Footers can surf really good out there.
4: Yeah.
2: I'm, I I must have just caught the better wave because you know, like I said, when I lived with Bradshaw, he sh- he taught me how to study waves, so I would sit on the point, on the cliff, and study every single day the wow. waves. And that's what I did. So I knew what the first wave was, second wave, or third wave, which one's a catch, which one's not. And that's kind of how I ended up beating everybody. But with Tom Carroll, it was a southwest wind. It was blown out. It was about four to six foot, choppy as can be. And I'm like, wow, this sucks. And I had these guns that I had made for Hawaii that I brought up there. So I took out this 610 um, uh, bump diamond that I had made. And I went out there and rode that. In my heat. Everybody's laughing at me, walking out there in this big old gun. It helped with the chatter,
0: though, huh? It helped
2: with the chatter. And, and all I hear is PT. Thanks, PT. Oh, Tom Carroll, this, blah, 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 this, blah, blah. I'm like, holy crap, I'm losing. I'm not like getting my ass kicked. So every time I was looking at the waves, trying to figure out which wave would be best, I picked the right waves. And I just started blowing up on these things, doing big turns, cutbacks, doing everything I could to beat Tom Carroll. And then... There's PT not saying a damn thing. Oh, <laughs> there's, yeah, there's Richie Collins catching a wave. You know, yeah, he's got, he wrote it, you know, whatever. And I'm like, what, bro? No, nothing. You know, I was like, dude, what's your problem? Like, hey, bro, whatever. You know, brew, whatever. it. Give so, it give
0: a, give a shout out to the Grom.
2: Yeah, exactly. So once I'm like, well, I just lost this heat. So, you know, back then it was like a uh, dif- different type of a judging scale and there's different numbers. and yeah. So you had to wait longer, right? So after the heat, you got to wait, and then I'm like, freaking hey man, this sucks, you know, and I'm walking up the stairs. Back then, there were stairs that you could walk up, and uh, when you came out, instead of going all the way into the inside, you could just come up right there, and there's no stairs anymore, but, you know, coming up, going, God, this sucks, man. I lost a to Tom Carroll again, freaking, ah, you know? But, but you bleep, thought bleep, bleep, bleep.
1: you thought you were surfing the way as well,
2: right? Oh, yeah, I thought I was ripping. Yeah. And we all do. We always think we're ripping. But, yeah. you know, I, I but, thought, man, I'm just not good enough to beat Carroll because he beat me once before and I was pissed. And everybody said I beat him and then, you know, I'm done. Yeah. So next thing you know, I get out there, I get up and PT So, oh, wow, you know, cool. You know, congratulations on the winner of the Heat, Richie Collins. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, so. Um, and then after that, I had Parsons and I had so much adrenaline and so much, like, bitterness and hatred. I just wanted to kill everybody. And I just, like, went out there and just started going nuts you know on every one of my heats and i did there was no relaxing at all i did not hold back i i, I hit every single lip i did every cutback i was supposed to do i did not when i caught a wave all the wind i did not i put my head down and kicked all the way back out and just the fire so yeah
1: now were you always that way or was this oh, like yeah.
2: the turning point? always always that every way. heat every single heat Try to teach my daughter. Same thing. I don't care if you're free surfing or in a heat. You get done catching weight, you kick and you scratch and you paddle back out as fast as you can.
1: What – um who and when and how did you get your nickname?
2: Well, one year at the OP Pro, I don't remember what year it was. It could have been the year I beat Tom Curran in 1989. It could have been a prior year. I can't remember. So you, but, weren't,
1: you weren't Skeletor yet in, in – No, in I was not. In Cold War. Um,
2: Tom okay. – Car- Tom, Tom, No. Uh, Dave Palmer I think was up on the stands talking with Carl Weezer or somebody and they were very interested in why I threw so much spray for such a skinny little runt and um, so they started talking about it and he goes yeah it's like you go out there and surf against this kid and he's like he's got arms like a skeleton like skeletor and that's how it stuck so Dave yeah. Palmer so, Maybe Skeletor.
0: So when did, when did you, you – you, you had that growth spurt early, but I mean you're pretty tall. What are you, 6'2"? No, 6'2"? I
2: should have been about six one, six two. 6'2", but since I broke my back windsurfing when I was 14, uh, I um, blew out all my discs in my lower back and I had nothing left. And it grew – my back grew back crooked. And when I was 18, I, I went paralyzed a few times. And my first year on tour when I went over to Europe, I kind of went paralyzed. And I came back, had enough, and got X-rays. And Doctor Tim Brown uh, looked at me. Goes, I don't know how the hell you're walking, let alone surf, or let alone surf, let alone why you should you should be in a wheelchair, paralyzed. Is that eighty-eight? No, that was eighty-seven. Seven. Yeah. And he goes, you got two choices. You can we can either do surgery, and you probably won't surf for another year to two years, or we can try to straighten your back and build the muscles around it because you have no cartilage. You have no discs in your lower back. You're missing three discs. Wow. So I said – he looked at me goes, how are you doing what you do? And I go, because I have um, very bad ADHD, PTSD, whatever you <laughs> want to call it. And I'm very angry and pissed off at the world and nothing's going to stop me from getting what I want. Wow. So, so. why the mohawk? And why the gloves? Okay, so apes, <laughs> ape so gloves, in ninth, like in. Cause you were Skeletor ni- before Skeletor. In ni- I think in 1985, I was living with Bradshaw, and I was rock- watching Rocky Balboa. <laughs> okay, and uh, motivational movie. He. Eh, we're talking Mr. Right, T here, right? It was new. It was brand new. It had just come out, and it was now on HBO. And uh, Bradshaw had HBO and with Mr. T. (laughs) So if you go back and you watch that movie and Mr. T and between Mr. T and Rocky Baba, no gain, no pain, no gain. I took that literally and went in that direction. And And then I was watching football once. I think the same year and they did this article on Bosworth. <laughs> and from there I got the no pain no gain thing going. And then the next year I started shaving my head and then I think about a year later all these pretty boys like Jamie Brissick and George Holes with their long blonde beautiful hair All these guys running around like they're just cute. They want the girls after them. I just said, I said, F you guys. I'm going to shave my head into a freaking mohawk and just be the only person that nobody can recognize.
0: Yeah, Dude, you – And destroy you out in the water. Exactly. So it's kind of –
1: 88 was the year where you kind of announced your like, hey, I'm here.
2: 87. 87. Were you it, on Billabong already? Yeah, 86 Eighty-six was pretty much the year that me and Lambrezy were toe-to-toe for winning the PSAA uh, uh, tour. And um, I had just signed with Billabong in November with Bob Hurley because Quicksilver turned me down and uh, said I wasn't good enough and I was too old. Uh, Danny Kwok by the way and um, <laughs> I uh, decided to say okay fine and then PT I talked to PT and he said hey uh, let me call uh, the guys over at Billabong and talk to them and then he told them up and then I got a phone call back and PT had a meeting between me and Bob and me and Bob and Hurley decided to meet up we talked about it and he, we signed a contract and we, he shipped me off to uh, Nativity Dodd with Brad Gerlach Gary Clisby, Dave Kennedy and, um, uh, one of the boys, oh shoot, I don't want to forget his name. And I'm forgetting his name from San Diego. i a good surfer down there and we got Epic Natividad and that's where I learned how to ride a barrel when I was 17. Nice. And after I learned how to ride that barrel, man, I, that's it. I said, that's it. Nothing can hold me back now.
0: How, how incredible is that? That's
2: that wave down there when it's, all I was around. getting barreled for so long. I had to jump out, jump off. <laughs> okay, yeah.
0: Wrap it. Sean
2: Collins. Sean Collins. was one of my first sponsors too. Wave Track back in the day. Yeah, b- before Surfline, and um, he was there with us. And he was tracking. He was tracking our barrels and said, "the f- The days that we were here and you getting barreled was it? A- I tracked it. You literally took off from Huntington Pier and got barreled to Newport Pier. <laughs> That's how long you were in the barrel. That's how many barrels I got and how long that was." in there. So when was
1: Filthy (coughs) Habits? Huh? When was Filthy Habits? Is that 87 or 86?
2: After after I signed with Billabong in 86, I think it was, um, when I did the tour, uh, I got to be friends with Sonny because we started the tour together and talk about Clash of the Titans, man. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Man, my... Filthy Habits, 1988.
1: Did you guys get along or
0: were you... <sighs> ah. I know, Sonny. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's not, it's not, uh, it's not where we want to want him to
2: be. Yeah. We became brothers. I mean, like real brothers. At each other's throats, wanting to beat each other up, choosing each other off, pushing each other around, pushing each other to the limits, surfing against each other.
0: Just, I mean, as a competitor, you guys were pretty much, like, two of the same, you know, P, but, you know, he was a Hawaiian, you're the California guys, but as far as... Hey, he was my pepper. I'm his salt,
2: you know? He's black, I'm white. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, there was no gray, there was no in-between between between us, man. We were just, it was just us, you know? We just, and it was gnarly, and starting tour with him, it was like, we were two kids, man, that... Just we're out to conquer the world, yeah, and to, and to kick each other asses. You know, we got to got to be really good, better friends with Todd Holland. I got to be even better friends with John Shimoka. I met Luke Egan, Matt hoy, you know, Nikki Woods, Jason Button, Matt Branson, Scat, uh, uh, Kim, uh, you know. Uh, so they did they I did, mean, did Bill Bong
0: send send you over the, to Australia for the filming yeah, of that movie? Yeah
2: yeah basically bob gave me a contract i signed a contract three hundred dollars a month and a ten thousand dollar travel budget
0: and uh your
1: your guys's part you guys shared a part right in that in the in filthy habits and honestly that's like one of the best so
2: that after doing the tour with them for a year um bob wanted to do a video and um at the time you know it was time to do a video and he was working together with uh Gord Merchant on putting a video together and we tried to figure out what to do and next thing you know we came out with it and had some great music behind it and uh, uh, Bob said well where do you want to go to do it and I came up with a place to go to and I had to make a few phone calls and I was denied and I had to beg and plead and um, the doors were opened and so I was allowed to go over there And take Sonny with me. Nice. And uh, we got to shoot. Nice. So Uh, we got uh, our uh, footage. And that's where we got our footage. And then the other guys got their footage from other places.
4: Yeah.
1: But your guys' part was fucking sick.
2: Yeah. Forever etched in my mind. It it was incredible. And that was a very good experience for Sonny also. Unfortunately puppy dog Sonny back in the day was always head over hills freaked out about his girlfriend all the time and he kept fighting me wanting to go home go home like no and I said like almost like hold him down and make him stay so <laughs> but it was cool I met some good people and uh became got got to know more friends and uh good times yeah yeah so I, I love I love when you're
0: you know they did the quotes and filthy habits and yeah. your quote even in California I get scared sometimes because I want to hit the lips so hard that I know I'm gonna hurt myself. Yep.
2: <laughs> exactly. I mean, don't but, forget the other one. If I if I can beat myself, I can't be beat.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it.
2: So, and that's true because if my head starts playing tricks on me, yeah, it is. But if I I you know when I <clears throat> when I grew up competing as an amateur my dad wouldn't feed me. So I'd literally starve all day and have a couple sips of water down the WSA days. And me and the kids back in the WSA days, we stayed in our wetsuits all day and ran around like chickens with our head cut off. Yeah, yeah. So you can imagine by the end of the day what I was like and my friends. We are done. <laughs> I mean, I'd come home for the weekend and couldn't even go to school the next day because I'd be blind because I couldn't see. And my face would be red as like I took, put my face on a frying pan for yeah. an hour.
1: No one wore sunblock back then.
2: No, there was no. No. <laughs> the first sunblock that came out was uh, uh, bullfrog. bullfrog, and that burned the hell out of your eyes. Oh my gosh, that came out during the OP Surf Shop challenge, and we were all stoked. And we put it on our nose, and then we put it above our heads, and then we jumped in the water, and it just freaking went our eyeballs. And, ah! <laughs> it just, it, it
0: never much. like soaked in. It was just an oil,
2: and it just yeah, burned. But it worked. It worked yeah. great.
0: Yeah, yeah. So. so.
1: Take us back to, okay, after 88, you, you won the Coldwater Classic. Was that your first big win? Like
2: First big win. Okay. And then after I won, it was great because I think I got, the way I did my contracts was I got, was based off incentives. So I, I got paid less salary because I like to work for my money like I always have. And everybody always wanted to give more salary, but I always took less but a bigger incentive. And so that's how I made more money. So that month, I ended up making ten thousand dollars in January of nineteen eighty-eight. Nice, dang, the highest-paid surfer ever. Yeah. So. So Huge.
1: So then, what other contests uh, did you finally win? Do you remember?
2: Um, Well, after that, I was on. I was. um, I think I was in the top thirty after that contest, and then um, I went to Australia and lost every first heat. Why is that? You just got
1: complacent? or I
2: just, I don't know. I was just, my head grew too big. I couldn't fit through walls and uh, doors and I just wanted to kill everybody too much. I didn't have a time to relax and enjoy my win. And, uh, I just, I, you end up turning into a different person that I shouldn't have. And I did. And I went over and lost every first heat. And the last contest was at Manly and, uh, I uh, went out in my heat, and I lost, and I was rated 31st, and then um, uh, Dave Pomerder's heat showed up, and he didn't show up for his 33rd round, and since I was the next highest seed, Al Hunt called me up and said, hey, you want to surf this 33rd round? Because Dave's not around, so you're the next seed. I need someone to surf it. You want to surf it? I go, hell yeah. Wow. Ran down there, surfed the heat, lost anyway, but I still got 300 bucks, and I finished 30th. (laughs) <laughs> and, and Dave Parmiter finished 31st.
0: <laughs> How funny. They got three back
2: in. You made some money. That's epic. Yep. So I uh, made the top 30. How
1: long were you on the tour for? Uh, from 1987
2: to 1995. Okay. So 87 a- 88 was one year. 88 was another year. That was a hell year that no one ever wants to live through again. We did seven and a half months of tour with 32 contests. Whoa, add that up. Wow. Add that up.
1: ASP had 32
2: professional contests pro- in a seven and a half month year.
1: Wow. Try what? to add that
2: up. Yeah, that's uh, a How couple many of Many weeks are in a year. Yeah. Fifty-two. Yeah. <laughs> right? Try seven and a half months, thirty-two contests.
0: Dude, yeah, that's I'm, crazy. I'm on the like ASP. Or, you know, WSL, and 88's not showing up at all as, like, a tour stat page. It's weird. Yeah.
2: It was, it was a very short, long, miserable tour. I forgot who I was. I lost my soul. And um, I was sick pretty much the whole time. And that year, I think, is the year that uh, uh, um, Doug Silva lost his mind and just walked away. And... Uh, A few other guys lost their heads too, walked away, and um, I came home from a long trip from Brazil, and I walked right past, I was sick for a couple weeks, I walked right past my dad and said, hey, let's go home, and he looked me right in the eyes, and I walked right by him, and I got about 10 more feet ahead of him, I turned around, he's still looking for me. And uh, Matt, Matt Hoy, and Luke Egan, and Sonny walked off where they were behind me, and he goes, and I could hear my dad. He goes, "Hey guys, where's Rich?" He didn't even recognize me. Really? That's how wow. messed up I was. Wow. But you rebounded back in '89, came back strong. Well, I did good in '88. I finished 14th in '88. Sick. And then um, I did. I I placed pretty good. I think in '88 I got fifth at Bells. If you want to check that, um, I think uh, I got second over in Europe in um, either Lochanau or Hasagor. Might have been Hasagor. So um, I had a couple good results in '88 that put me in 14th. Nice. That was a good good bonus from uh, Billabong.
0: What was the uh, top sixteen? Top ten? Top five? How was your like incentive breakdown?
2: Making the top sixteen was fifteen grand. Making the top ten was, um, I think, twenty or twenty-five grand. Finishing fifth, I think, was around thirty. Fourth was like forty. Dang. I think third was uh f- around fifty. Second was 60. I think if I would have won the title, we'd have been close to maybe 100 grand.
0: Epic. That's a huge amount of money back then.
2: Yeah. But like I said, my salary was low. Yeah. I just had enough to where I could do the tour. Yeah. And um, pay my bills from my winnings, which the winnings back then weren't very much. Yeah. Yeah. I think the most I ever won was, I think, $46,000 in a year. In a year? yeah, Yeah, in a year. I think wow. the highest I think the highest winnings in one year I think was eighty or hundred grand. Nothing. I think that was Curran. Yeah. Or or Damian Hardman.
0: Probably one of the two of those. Bard, those guys. I Bar guys remember. One yeah. of those guys. Making finals every time. Yeah. So winning um that OP pro, I mean, in eighty nine, I mean that's considered your local, you know, hometowns yeah. you know, Southern California. I mean, you went up against I mean the the best guys you could you could you know go against.
2: Yeah, it was crazy. It was a crazy year because they, that year in Japan, I went over and lost my first heat in Japan. and lost my head, came back and uh, uh, just. But to beat current it, like, and putting been and, together, and uh, yeah, uh, just you know, I, I it was like God was coming after me and wanted me to pay attention to Him more. And then that was in 1989, and uh came down to me and spoke to me and said look from now on this is how it's gonna be and i said okay yeah nice uh from there on out it's been a pretty interesting tight relationship with god and uh he's blessed me
0: yeah amen brother we hear that Uh. But going back, was that OP final like the best of three? Like, final? Like, what did they do that in that year? I don't no, no, remember. No, no, no. The best no. of
2: three was my first year on tour when I was in, down in South Africa when I was in the semifinals against Graham, Graham Wilson. And I had no idea it was two out of three. And I went out and smoked them. <laughs> and I came in and said, Yes, I made the first final. And next thing I know, no, no it's, and I, I'm like, Cool. And I go to take off my wax on my board because it was all jacked up. And he said, "No, you're surfing right after this heat." I'm like, "What? What are you talking about? Wait, wait a minute. Why is Barton paddling back out in this heat? And did he just win the? Le- they go, no, it's two out of three. Wow. And I'm like, what? That's so crazy that they used to do yeah. that. I was not happy. What were your favorite uh, tour stops? So then I ended up losing in that against Graham Wilson. I got third that contest, so I was pretty pissed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you got him back, you know, some other times, I'm sure.
2: Oh, yeah, I did. But still, that was like a big deal, you know, first year on tour. So I got a first and third my first year, I think. That's great. Yeah. So South Africa was awesome, though. Me and Sonny hanging out together, that was so cool. Yeah. Yeah. That was the best trip, Now We took a – we, we rented a car and because uh, he couldn't drive yet. He was still 17. And, uh, dude, we, we – I took a brand new Ford freaking sports car and we went ballistic in that thing. Almost rolled it. <laughs> We literally went up on two wheels and almost rolled, and we blew out the tire on our way to our banquet. <laughs> in the mud, in the rain, we had to change a flat tire in the mud.
1: That's crazy. On your so way to like a it. banquet?
2: What's that, bud? On your way to a banquet, you did that? Yeah, after uh, before the contest started.
1: That's so crazy. The um,
2: Spurs Shake Ranch contest was the, most, the best contest in the world because it was the, uh, a mobile contest. So you got to surf all these different spots. It was awesome.
0: Yeah, I, I used to yeah, love love when they would, when they make, make you guys surf different spots. I mean, uh, there, Hawaii was kind of the only spot I knew they would do that, you know, based on the conditions.
2: Well, Hawaii is always stuck to one spot unless the conditions did change. Yeah. So most of the time you just stay in one spot. So the only time they did that was when they did the billabong, when they did a mobile billabong where there was going to be a pipe, haliva, or sunset. But the locals didn't really like that that much, so they kind of stopped doing that. And they yeah. just ended up taking the billabong and leaving it at Pipe Cause that, that, because the tour guys and the con, and the uh, pros, they wanted to just in at one spot. Yeah. And that's how the Triple Crown just stayed the Triple Crown because Sunset was already taken. The locals were pissed, which I would have been pissed too because all of a sudden you got this mobile contest and you're going to take up Sunset when it's good, beat it, go back down to Pipe. Because there's guys that don't surf Pipe that just want to surf Sunset. There's guys that want to don't really care to surf sunset, just want to surf pipe. Yeah, locals at Haleiva, man, you got to respect the locals that surf Eva every single day. Yeah, you know, and yes, locals, hey, we'll give you ten days and that's it, no more. So yeah, yeah,
0: they they want to yeah get their beaches back.
2: Yeah, I mean, I mean, look at Huntington now. You go to Huntington, there's a freaking damn contest every damn weekend. It's like, dude, Huntington mayor, cancel that crap out, get rid of it.
0: It's you so know, bad.
2: Every single time I go to Huntington to go surf with my girls, I can't even go surfing because there's a damn contest going on.
0: It's 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 pretty bad for sure. They need to sur-
2: there should only be twelve contests a year, one a month. That's it.
0: That's it. I hear you on there.
2: It's just ridiculous, man. If there's you plenty
0: a, of other good beaches up and down the coast.
2: Yeah, if you want to go have a contest, go to Golden West, go to Ninth Street like you used to. Taco Bell Reef. Go down, go down the street, down to First Street or something. Go away from the pier.
0: Yeah, You know, here's pier
2: is a local spot where people like to go and hang out with their family and, and surf and have fun.
0: I always found it amazing that they, you know, even the, the Bud Tour, the PSAA, they, they would hold it either at Bolsa or River Jetties. They yeah. wouldn't even hold it, yeah. like, at the pier, you well,
2: know? They went always, that one contest, that one year, drug use, life abuse, I had that contest down at Brookhurst. Yeah. So that, um, uh, what's his name, one well, from Australia. Uh, it was cool. I got to work with Byron Scott, too, at the time. Um. Uh. Shoot. Uh. Brett. Uh. uh oh. Brett, uh, from Australia. God, yeah. Yeah. I yeah. I he, uh, wrote, he wrote I Anyway. Whatever. I want to. I want to hear
0: about your 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 most notorious win at the Bells Classic, the Rip Curl, where you finaled and only really surfed a half a half a heat because your your back was broken.
2: Well, what happened was it was pretty good waves the whole contest. It was like three to four foot, super clean conditions, not like breaking regular bells, but just kind of like a good right point break. Yeah. And um, I really no. don't like right point breaks that much, but I dreamed about bells my whole life. And, um, you know, Kira and Diba and all those places in Australia and Burley and, um, you know, I've been at bells a few times. Scott, hold on a second, guys uh basically i was staying in a caravan thing by myself and doing my own thing not hanging out with anybody uh i think i rented a car driving back and forth i can't even remember and uh just didn't wear shoes all week walked around in my sweatpants and a and a shirt with sweats on and i used my sweatpants as my my shoes <laughs> you know, and uh, just kind of hung out and studied the waves every single day. Surfed my heat, and won, and and in '92 is the first year they came up with a Red Robin system to where they switched over how they did it, um, how they do it now.
4: Yeah,
2: from the back in the old four-one decision, three-two decision to the new um, where they, you know, do the scoring system. And when you weren't, if you win your heat and have a certain percentage, you go to this, you go to that. It was kind of confusing, and people were complaining. I didn't even care. I just wanted to surf bells because it was perfect conditions. And I just kept winning heats. And then uh, the semis came along, and the waves got really bad, and I had Gary Elkerton in my heat. And um, there was this big rock in the middle of the lineup, and I kept looking at the thing, and... It was in my way, and I was like, "Forget this rock, man! I'm tired of it." You couldn't get around it, so we we're kind of like me and um, Elkerton were surfing behind it, doing off the lips. And I just like, you know what? That's it, done. I took off in a wave, did a snap, and went full speed at that rock. And right before I hit the rock, I kind of did a, I kind of angled myself straight to the cliff, and waited for the water to go around the rock. Did a bottom turn around the rock, and came around and hit the lip again and people just flipped out because there was only about 10 yards between the rock and the cliff. Okay. Yeah. And that's like something that's impossible to do. And I've always done the impossible, like shooting, uh, pier back in the day that no one's ever did. I did it like back in, I don't know, 86 or 87. And, uh, unless someone else did it before me, I don't know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Taking off behind the bowl down at New Pier in South Africa, getting barreled, just missing the pier, and people freaking out on that, thinking I'm nuts. So um, those were like
0: little growing little piers, like they don't, yeah, like the wave,
2: yeah, you can't go through them, you can't go through them, you know. And like growing up in Newport around the the you know the jetty, you know, getting barreled into those, landing on the jetties and stuff like that, getting dragged across the jetty, and then shooting the pier, you know, at Huntington and hitting the pier at Huntington. So, you know, uh, I ended up beating Gary and he was not happy at all. <laughs> he hated my guts for it. And then, uh, you know, I was super excited. There's, I don't know how many thousands of people on the beach hanging off the cliffs. There was a band playing. It was, it was and just full concert action, going ballistic. And I went up top and we were talking to the guys on when they want to start the heat. And I'm like, so we're just going to do a 30 minute heat top four waves and I said, forget the thirty-minute; just do a forty-minute heat. Why not? I don't care. Yeah. Get yeah. give the crowd an extra ten minutes of excitement. Yeah, you know, get the band going. Let's have fun, Now, dude. I made the I made the final bells. I'm stoked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Win or lose, I don't Start care. Sing out. And, that was
0: against, and that was against Potter, Martin yep. Potter,
2: and me. And Martin Potter, we paddled out. The heat started, and um, I, like I said, I studied the waves to the fullest extent, and you know, he wanted to kick my ass out in the water more than anything in the world. And cause he was pissed off at me cause I beat him. Um, uh, what year back in 89, I almost beat him in the world, world title race and he was, was pissed off at me. So he had a chance to get me back cause I beat him during that world title, title race over in Europe. And, uh, so I just let him have it. He just, <laughs> I let him have, I let him have it. The, the first wave and he took off on the first wave and, I knew not to take off in the first wave because I knew the second wave was always better. So he took off on the first wave, and I'm like, okay, you know, he goes up and hits a lip and he falls. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, what? And I took off on the second wave, man, and I rode it all the way down the beach, got like an 8.5 on it. Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm, I'm paddling back out, and a wave comes in. He takes off on the first wave again. While I'm paddling out, he kind of does a couple turns, hits the lip a few times, and he got like a 6 5 on it. I thought they were going to give him a 9 on it or something, because, you know, the judges hate me. And they gave him like a 6 5 or a 7. I'm like, oh, cool, man, that's awesome. I'm, I'm ahead. Paddle back out, waited for the right wave, took off another wave, got like a 7 5 on it. Paddle back out. You know, he caught another wave, got like a 7 5 on his wave. I'm like, oh, crap, he's catching me. So I'm like, really started studying it, studying it. And this all happened like in the first 15, 20 minutes. And next wave I caught, I just went and destroyed this wave. I go, okay, you just got a 7. I need something higher. I need to get I need to get like a 9.5 or something. So I pulled all the stops out, did everything I can, got like a 9.5 on this wave. Broke wow. all the way, hit the lip, gnarly floater, launch, air, drop, shore, break, pound, right? And got like a 9.5 or something. Maybe it was an 8.5, I, I don't remember. It was just a big score. Uh, yes, I, that helps, you know. Mark Potts takes off on another wave, gets like an 8.5 on the thing. i like, crap, man. Blow
0: for blow. Just...
2: Full on, like, you that here's clamp. my head, take a shot. He sticks his and I take a shot, you know? So then I get back out there, and he's he, now where it's like, I've got priority, he's got second priority, and I'm like, well, I'm not going to go on the first wave. So I kind of like sucker him to go on the first wave. So he goes on the first wave, rides it down the line, and then I take off on the second wave, and I'm behind him, and while he's in front of me, because the second one's always bigger. So he's in front of me riding the wave, and I'm behind him just bashing it behind him. So he finishes his wave, and I pass him by about twenty or thirty yards. And he just—I could just see him just looking at me. You got to be kidding me! Like shaking his head, you know. He gets like a seven five or an eight on his wave, and I get like another eight five or a nine. So now it's like comes down to like there's like we're like twenty five minutes into the heat, right? And I'm sitting there going, "Shoot, man, he needs like a nine five to beat me." yeah he's like a perfect score to beat me like around uh, around a nine or something to beat me and i'm like going crap man i've got like i'm kind of like a seven two eight fives like a nine five or something like that i need to better my seven. i need to get something better because he's got like two eight fives a seven five and like a six right so he's eat but he needs like over a nine and i'm like tripping out going okay then the one of the, the that last wave i caught I pulled into the I pulled into a tube, and I pulled in a little barrel, and it broke on my back, and I came out, and then that's when I launched that floater and landed it, and that's when Potter was paddling out, and as, while I was paddling back out, he was sitting out there. I caught a wave, and as soon as I took off on this wave, my back went out. Oh. Oof. As soon as I started my bottom turn, my back went out because I just I'm mean, I'm gonna freaking kill this wave. I literally had to my back went out. I had to stand differently. And I went all out on that wave, and it ended up being like another eight-five or a nine. Nice. And as soon as my back went out, I hit the lip at the end, did a floater, landed, and fell flat on my face, and couldn't get out of. The, barely could move. Crawled up the beach, and that was it. Ten minutes left of the heat, because I was at the 30-minute mark. Ten minutes left of the heat. I'm on the beach, and PT's like, "Uh, I don't know what Richie Collins is doing, but he's on the beach, sitting oh down." Oh my gosh. He's not moving. He must have hurt himself on that last maneuver. And I'm like, no, dude. My back's out. I can't move. So Potter is sitting out there all by himself. The ocean goes flat. (laughs) Dead flat. Nothing. Remember what I said at the beginning of the story? They wanted to only do a 30-minute heat. Lucky for you, huh? Okay. And I said, let's do an extra 10 minutes. Let's make it 40. My heat was over at 30 minutes exactly. Okay, I was done. It was like God said, look, Mr. Collins, don't ever tell people to change something. Just go with the flow because the heat is over.
1: You never caught it though, right? You never got the wave.
2: And Potter sat there. A couple little waves came in, but they weren't going to give him what he needed. So we ended up paddling when there was about five minutes left. And these guys came and got me from the stretcher and took me up on the, on the stand where the band was. And I never got to collect my trophy. I was in the hospital sitting there for hours.
1: Wow. That's
2: gnarly. Nope. Never got to ring the bell. Oh. Yep. I got it on my mantle at my house. On my car. So. No, I never got to ring the bell until they invited all the past winners for their 50th. And so me and my wife went over there and I got to ring the big bell finally. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: for whatever reason.
2: That's okay, you're not missing anything. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, shoot. So Favorite favorite tour destination? Yeah. Um, going home. <laughs> Dude, the tour was brutal back in the day, you guys. It was it was gnarly. It took a lot out of us kids. Yeah. You know, so um not really Everywhere was just the same. It was never really great, I'm going. It was just like great, I'm going again. <laughs> you know, so um, it became more of a job than a fun lifestyle. And it was really difficult. So because the money wasn't really there, you didn't make much money unless you had incentives and got a couple good results. So can you guys hold on for a second? Yeah. We'll I'm um, hoping I don't lose you. Hold on. Yeah. Uh, there was never really that much of a favorite tour stop. Everywhere when I first started was kind of be like my favorite tour stop. By the way, here you go, right here Frog House. Been riding for them since 1992. Nice. Longest we, sponsored ever. We so love Frog, the Frog House. House. Yeah. But um, it's just. Uh, Became a job and not, not so much yeah. fun. Yeah. It, it just wasn't. It was it was a drag. You know, you're carrying around your boards your board bags. Your boards are breaking cracking. You know, back then you had glass ons. There was no fin boxes. You know, you got charged up the ass for boards all the time. I mean, up to one time coming home from Japan, they charged us like 800 bucks just for our board bag to go to Hawaii. You know, it was out of control. Yeah. So it was nuts back in the day. And everybody scrambling to try to get flights. The flights were always crappy. They were smoking on the plane back in the day. I mean, it was like... It was crazy. I mean, we still, you know, we were still all friends. We had fun here and there, but it was gnarly. Yeah, you're you're running your own little business and
0: trying to compete at the same time. You know? Yeah.
2: Well, plus, when I come home, I worked. I shaped boards, build boards. You know, did custom orders. I I shaped, airbrushed, lamb, hot coated, sanded, sold boards. You know, I did. I was never nonstop. And I surfed every day, a couple times a day. Went back to the shop, shaping, doing all the work. Come home for a couple days, make. One or two boards overnight. Couldn't sleep. You know, just uh, waking up in the middle of the night, not knowing where you are. Yeah. Literally driving on, driving down the street, forgetting where you're at, not knowing what side of the road you're supposed to be on. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was nuts. I mean, I, I, one time I was at home and I couldn't sleep, so I jumped on my motorcycle, I went to go to work, and I had to stop in the middle of the road and figure out where I was. I literally didn't even know where I was. Couldn't figure out what I couldn't remember what I was doing. I was, oh yeah. Wait a minute! I'm going to work right now, and I'm supposed to be on this side of the road because I'm in California. You know? Yeah, when you're
0: hot jet setting like that all over, it, it you know, you're speaking Portuguese and you're speaking Spanish and you're speaking Shoot, French man. and then Japan and you know Japanese. You're all over the place.
2: Shoot, I just had a dream last night about that. Actually, <laughs> I'm. I don't know. I think I was. I th- I might have been in Europe, and this lady asked me. So, are you okay? And I went, "Hi, we see, yes. Uh, where am I?" <laughs> I used to do it all the time.
0: He's having flashbacks. Tour flashbacks. <laughs> yeah, I always
2: do, man. It's it's a it's it's crazy, and you know, on um, you get all your friends that you made, Like, why don't you? You've been here so many times. Why don't you speak my language yet? I got. If I would have spoke everybody's language by now, I'd be a trans. Uh, uh, Danville was whatever. I, I mean, you'd be rich. Yeah, something but... weird. I go. I can't even speak English, let alone your language. Yeah. So. Ventriloquism. The yes,
0: there we go. <laughs> so yeah, you get some assistance. Yeah. What, so you did the tour up to ninety four, ninety five? The, yeah. They, so. They, well, ninety
2: three. Ninety three was a really bad year for me. I had a. My great grandma died two months before Christmas, and we were really close. And then uh, I think the day before Christmas or two days before Christmas, my grandpa died. Wow. So um, I was – after the summer of France, they were both in the hospital and um, I think I skipped Brazil and I stayed home to be with them and then – or I might have went to Brazil for a week or two and I came back and that's when my grand grandma was really bad. And I I, off. I I couldn't go. I said, yeah, you know what? I'm going to stay here with my grandparents. So I skipped Hawaii that year and I lost, uh, I had a bad year in Europe too. I was, my back was out the whole time. I was having a hard time. The waves were flat and it was a bad year. It was a really bad year in 90 year, 93. Oh yeah. After that, that's right. Um, I think I ended up going to Japan after that, or um, a few mo- few weeks later. I think I went to Japan or something. I can't remember. But uh, and then uh, it was just bad. It was it was a really messed up year. So and then ninety four I um, I quit the tour, and I just did the um, QS here and there, and uh, was getting some okay results around town because you know the was the bud tour now you know you could stay home yep so i did that and i got a couple results and then i end up uh winning the longboard event in malibu what uh, yeah i surfed the longboard event in malibu and won that in 94 and um south africa was on board and i just went i wasn't gonna go and i just called toby martin from uh uh what was that uh she can't remember the company name. And she goes, oh, you're going to go now? And I went, "Yep, yeah, I'm going. OK, well, when you're on your way home from Malibu, bring me your passport. Malibu brought her my passport, met her at her house. The next day, because we're leaving the next day, she, um, she uh, went to the consulate, got my stuff, met me at the airport, made the plane by 30 minutes.
1: No way.
2: Yeah, I showed up. She's waiting at the check-in for me it was 30 minutes before the departure they were waiting for me so I threw on my board back got on that plane and uh they're like everybody's looking all the boys from Santa Cruz and everybody because it was a one it was a chartered plane to go to South Africa and it was like you're the one we're waiting for what the hell are you doing here he's going and I looked at I looked at everybody I go I'm here to kick your asses so I went down there and I won back to back Nick. Yeah, so I won, sick. Uh, I got, I got, uh, I won the the longboard Malibu PSA, and um, which was an ASP event. They made the PSA then part of the ASP. They paid like ten grand extra to do that. And I got, uh, it was a four man final. I, I, I think I got second. I think, something like that. I can't remember. But I made both finals and won the long. Oh, a third! I think I got third in the-
0: longboard. How? how you're <laughs> third just, because and I, because it's just Malibu and it's so good, or you you wanted to make extra money, or both.
2: I did a couple longboard events, and I did one in Santa Cruz too, and got fifth. My back kind of went out, so I kind of had to paddle in on the longboard because I had the shortboard event still. So, and then you know they were you know the longboarders were excited to see me doing the longboarding, you know, because it was just you know I was the youngest guy pretty much doing it. And I was, you know, in the top ten in the United States. I mean, t- top ten in the world surfing professionally. And uh, so I did it and uh, won the, got fifteen hundred bucks for that, and another fifteen hundred bucks or something for the for the main event because it was a four man final. I think I finished third in the the short board. So, I South Africa. Won uh, I think it was eight thousand, which came out to. Uh, like almost thirty thousand Rand?
0: So yeah. Money the money yeah, over there. Well, you know, back our then, dollar was, was so
2: strong. Well it's even stronger now. It's more like twenty to one now. Yeah. So what yeah, a- I had a big party after that one in South Africa, I invited everybody up, had about fed about fifteen people, all you can eat, steak, lobster, beers, wine, drinks, whatever it was, it cost me fifty bucks. <laughs>
0: they, they, they they paid they paid you in, in hundred dollar bills
2: or cashiers checks back then. Hundred dollar bills.
0: Yeah, <laughs> so sick.
2: So it was good. Luckily, you're only lucky if you had anything more than ten grand. You had to claim it. Yeah. So I didn't have <laughs> to claim it. Remember, remember uh, in South Africa when my
0: when my uh, all my money got stolen the first night.
2: I don't remember that, but I remember you being in South Africa. <laughs> yeah. With me at, with me at the uh, Holiday Inn.
0: Yeah, you you uh, and d when you guys were on t- Town and Country.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, were you were staying somewhere else, and you had, you had no place to stay, so you had to stay with us.
0: Yeah, you guys had, like, an apartment or something. Yeah. Yeah, my my, my uh, first night I was there, I flew in in the middle, you know, really late, went for morning surf, because you're all jet-lagged, come back yeah. to the room, I load up my stuff, I go check in at your guys' place, and then I go through my stuff, and all my money is gone.
2: Yeah. That's what they did. They would go through your bags and steal your stuff. We found out that if you put your stuff in your bag and you hide it, they steal it, but if you leave it wide open, they won't touch it. Right. So
0: Oh, good old days.
2: Yep. And that's so, kind of where I met Seth Holy too. I stayed with his mom and dad down there and when I won that comp.
0: So after the tour in like ninety five you took some, some some time off. What did you yep. what did you do? Just come back to shaping full time? Well,
2: Basically, I wanted to stay home, man. I was like, you know, I, was, I had a really bad tour on '95. I pretty much lost every first heat. I won one heat in in Brazil. I got a ten. Mark Bannister. That's who it was.
1: Bannister
2: against Mark Bannister, who won my comp that I that the drug use, and life abuse, uh, people put on down in Brookhurst with Byron Scott. Um, I had one. I had a heat in Brazil at Rio at Barra Beach, and it was about four to six foot, big giant short, you know, beach break breaking outside, and barely stand on my board and go, and so this big, huge right came in, and I took off, and I just pulled in, standing up in this thing, Uh and I just kept going and going, and it started to cry, and I came out, spit me out, and I'm like, whoa! You guys there? Yeah. I'm here, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. And then uh, I got a perfect 10, and that's uh-oh. And then, um, after that, I couldn't get another wave, and, I, and then I had. To, Rich, where'd you go? I'm here. Can you hear me? I, I can hear you, Rich.
1: Larson, can you hear Lyndon?
0: I hear you. But you
1: can't hear Rich.
0: No, I'm gonna zap out and pop back in.
1: Okay.
2: So yeah, I'm so you got. I won, a I won that 10. heat by about a point because I couldn't get another wave. Wait a minute! You caught one wave. I caught one wave, and then my next wave, I think I I caught, and because the insur- the in- interference rule back in the day was different, so um, no, it was Brett Bannister, not oh no, Mark, yeah Mark. Mark Bannister, yeah. He yeah he took off on a wave, going right, and I took off way behind him going right, so he got interference, and that's how I beat him. <laughs> By any means necessary, right? Well, I couldn't catch a wave to save my life, and I wanted to make it out of heat. And I said, dude, I'm sorry, but I just had to make it out of heat. You F know, oh, you effing seppo. <laughs> you know, so. That's classic. But I was done after that. So. What
1: you, so you So you came. 96, 96, yeah. I just
2: took time off. And uh, that's when I met my wife. And then 97. We got serious and got married, and then we did – went to Japan in 97, and then I did the tour in 98, and it was doing very, very well, and I was rated about fourth in the world on the QS in 97, and then – I mean 98, and I went to Brazil for four weeks, lost every first heat, and dropped all the way to 27th, and had to go to Hawaii and make one heat. I would have made the tour for 99, but I couldn't get anybody to help me out and give me 500 bucks to get to Hawaii. Oh. I had an air ticket because I bought a ticket, but I didn't have no cash. I sold everything. To, I, sold, I'm, I sold like $5,000 worth of all my surfboards. No, more than five because I think I sold like $8,000 worth of stuff because I had to pay off my American Express. I had to pay, buy my ticket and everything to go to Brazil. So I sold my truck, sold boards, wetsuits, sold everything.
4: Oh so I went God. down to
2: Brazil for four weeks, lost every first heat, couldn't even get to my feet, couldn't do anything right. My wife saw like, what happened to you? and I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> and uh, so came home and asked some major people for a couple hundred bucks, and they said they couldn't afford it. Rough. And all I had to do is come over to Hawaii and make one heat, and I went have made the ninety-nine C T tour.
0: Oh man!
2: So that was it. I was done.
0: Crocodile, like you said, industry, uh, no friends,
2: huh? Eat you up, spit you nope. out. That's right. Your your nice juicy steak for a while. And then they spit you out because they don't give a crap about you anymore. Yeah.
0: So growing up in the you know the industry like you did, I mean times are, are different now. You now you have some kids that are the daughter that's ripping right. Yep. How's it to like be her kind of mentor and coach and,
2: and surf dad like with- but a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> bad memories and. It's just it. it become it became more of a nightmare than having fun.
0: Yeah, is the uh, I mean, with the kind of the state of what what's happening in the in the industry now with brands consolidating, being sold, going you know,
2: bunch of sellout, bunch bunch, of sellout losers.
0: Yeah, it's
2: that's what what happens when you hire the wrong people running a company.
0: You bring in all these people from outside the industry, I think they're going to like you know make it all gravy and then they start clipping all the OGs.
2: That's right. They hire the wrong people, they sell to the wrong people, and then the people get rid of the right people that keep things going, that know how what they're doing. Once they're gone, then everything disappears. All they do is see money. Oh, $350 million company a year, let's buy it. Oh, why do we need this guy? Why do we need that guy? Why do we need this guy? So they get rid of like 10 guys that make them about... Fifty to one hundred million a year, yeah. Because yeah. they think, oh, why am I paying this guy this much money or that much money? Why am I paying this all these guys up to five million a year? Let's get rid of these guys. Let alone those guys are making them about fifty million a year. Yeah, yeah. They just don't get this. They don't get it. They just they're just idiots. They think they can deep. You know, I think what OP might have been of the first ones to sell out back in the day. They think that someone's just gonna write them a big fat check and they're gonna live life happily. But what about all the people that got them where they're at? Yeah. Yeah. You know, all these owners don't get it. Look, yeah, you might be tired and burned out, but hey, why don't you pass stay the involved? buck? Yeah. Pass the buck. Exactly. Stay ownership and keep involved, but teach yeah. someone else how to do it for you so they can keep the crown, the, the flame going. Yeah. Don't just for, sell out and let some idiot come in town, but then there's a lot of idiots in the surf industry that walk into businesses and they still steal the money and don't give back.
0: Yeah, you got you got to you got to carry that torch and pass it along. And well, the industry
2: know. is the industry was built on the men and women that built it with their hands. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We are a big family, okay? Yeah. So what happened is some of those men and women got older and had other people come up behind them to help them, but those other people that came out to help them got greedy and instead of the men and women that built the industry that took the money that they made and put it back into their companies, the people that have taken over in the last 30 years have taken the money and not put it back in out of their pocket. They kept the money and kept borrowing money. Yeah, yep. And they're so far in debt, they sell and now there's nothing left. Because
0: yeah. yep. no. they didn't put
2: their own money back into the company. They borrowed money.
0: Yeah, we we need, you know, we, we on our show we interview a lot of surf shops and entrepreneurs and people that started, you know, and stuff and you know, we talk about how important it is to, you know, stay, you know, core and local and not not sell out, you know, and yeah. just try to take care of your own and, and you know, have legitimacy but also support, you know, the the you know, the community, you know. Yeah. Like keep it keep it keep it close, keep yeah. it tight.
2: Well what do you think Froghouse has done so well? TK, man, he's been doing this for so many years Every bit of nickel and dime he makes, he gives back. Yeah. He doesn't borrow money to make money. He uses his own money to make money. If he if he makes a dollar, he'll spend ninety cents of that dollar to make two dollars. You know. Everybody else, if they make the dollar, they'll keep the dollar, but they'll borrow somebody else's two dollars to try to make five dollars, and they make the five dollars, and then they'll borrow twenty dollars to try to make fifty dollars, and they'll make the fifty dollars, and they'll borrow a thousand dollars try to make 10 grand they make the 10 grand and then they sell out because they never give their money back then they sell out when things get tough yeah and when things get tough they don't put their own money back in they keep borrowing more and more money
0: yeah yeah and you and you could see that not giving back i mean you know there's not really a domestic you know bud tour anymore and of course you need some of those non endemic sponsors and kind of you know corporate you know to help you know uh you know bring in some money but you know, I feel like we are in this like pinch, you know, where the top tour, you know, the WSL is doing a great job, but it's it's you know such a small little bracket world, and then underneath that there's nothing, you know. So
2: it's yeah. like, you know, well, luck- here's the here's the deal: the surf industry is a, sm- as a as a speck of sand on the beach. Yeah. Okay. And when you get the rest of the sand pile trying to come in and join the industry, it doesn't work that way. Kelly Slater is trying to bring all these outsiders in, which is great. It brings a lot of money in, but the money's coming in, but the money's not being made. Yeah. Okay. There's no money when when someone's bringing money in, but the money you bring in is is not making the money to go back out. Yeah. You lose. Yeah. You can you can borrow a hundred thousand dollars to buy a house that needs to be fixed up. Once it's being fixed up. You can turn around and sell for two hundred grand. You don't buy a house for a hundred thousand dollars and fix it up and sell it for eighty thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah. Because you're in debt thirty or forty thousand dollars. That's kind of what the industry is. They they brought all these millionaires in to bring money in, and they're bringing millions of dollars in, but they're they're not they're getting ten cents to the dollar back.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: You can't do that. There's nothing to offer in the surf industry. There is absolutely nothing to offer for these companies to make money.
4: Yeah.
2: And they're it's, still putting money in. I'm sorry to so tell you people, but this is the reality. I've been in this industry longer than any of you. Okay? And before me was my father. Okay? Yeah. I've picked apart this industry. I know it better than anybody. And this is the way it works. Yeah, we need to
0: keep we need to keep the, the, the brand's core, support local shops, and keep it authentic. Absolutely. Yep. We so, need, but it's we not need, gonna happen. But exactly. um, we, uh, you know, we're one of the uh, um, big supporters of the West Coast Board Riders, and I'm sure, you know, you're familiar with that and, and the way it's bringing back a little bit of the competitiveness, you know, amongst, uh, you know, ex-pros, current pros, the youth, and now we got this cool little, you know, class uh, rivalry, you know, from your 12- to 15-year-olds to your 50-year-olds and everything in between. and, and uh,
2: not, Nothing to do with it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> And and we'd love to see you on that Newport team, crushing it. it.
2: Happen? Why is that? Because it'll never happen. No. Nope. I want nothing to do with it. What
0: what uh what are you um what are you doing now for for like um marketing on your on your boards? You 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 still a Co- at Costa Mason at your dad's shop, Wave Tools, right there in Placentia?
2: Nope. My dad yeah. sold that shop a long time ago. But okay. I've been doing my own stuff since about. 98. Awesome. I, thing. I did uh, I did the Contra thing for a little bit in the early 90s. I did the CHS for the late 90s and then I just started doing Richie Collins surfboards. That's it.
0: Nice. What's uh what do you have a website? How do people get a hold of to order boards?
2: Oh, I did have a website for a couple of years and it cost more money than it was worth. <laughs> so, it's I just shut it down. It's not worth it.
0: They reach out Facebook or directly or is Yeah, there... I just
2: do Facebook stuff and still people don't order boards. Yeah. I just I still have guys that order boards for the last thirty years that get boards here and there. Yeah. So. Nice. But nobody wants to pay four hundred bucks for a board. They think it's too expensive. But they'll go buy a another board for seven fifty that is a piece of crap off the floor.
4: Yeah.
2: When I custom make your board for four hundred bucks, I shape it, I airbrush it, I glass it, hot coat it, and sand it. I do it. Yeah. Nobody yeah. else touches my stuff. I do it. I'm the Ferrari and the Porsche of the market. If not, yeah. I would say I'm the Lamborghini. Because. Yeah. My board should be selling for over a thousand dollars when I shape them, because I do all the work. Yeah. Okay.
0: So. Yeah, I love I love the air sprays. I love the old school. You know, yeah. like a lot of work goes into those. You know. What um what's your favorite board? What are you riding right now? You said you're super into twin fins.
2: Yep, I uh, redesigned a board from back in the Ipa Mr. Lance Collin days from the mid to late seventies and the early eighties. Yep. And when I started shaping twin fins back in the early eighties. And took them to the next level in the mid-80s during the PSAA. Um, I redesigned it and took 40 years of knowledge and put it into my own deal. So um, I came up with an idea, slept on it for a few months, developed it for for a couple years before I made one. And uh, made a couple and they worked. And I'm doing some more research and development on my, right now for the fin boxes and uh, through future fins and uh, came up with some great ways from them breaking out. And so far it's been working and uh, different ways of making them work better and it's been working. Are you so, doing your own fin,
0: fin templates too?
2: I'm using the same fin template I've used since 85. Wow. Nice. So – and when I did four fins for a little bit when they came back, I was using my same four fin templates that I designed back in 85.
0: Sick. What about um you know what wh- who's riding your boards like I mean outside of just paying customers, you got any uh, just team riders? Just you. Uh,
2: just me. You yeah. I just ride them. I got a long-time guy has been getting boards since about 95, 96. He used to get all tri fins from me, now he gets all twin fins. <laughs> he rides them in Bali, Fiji, Hawaii. Yeah. Back in San Clemente, Australia. Nice. So,
0: what do you what do you think about? Uh, we always ask our our guests about you know the the Olympics and, and surfing now you know being part of the Olympics.
2: Is that- um, I think it's a great opportunity, but I'm pretty sure Kelly said it was pretty much of a joke because you can't have a world champion off of one contest. Yeah. And they came up with that three that three tier system or whatever they try to do that they do in the other contest. You know like you lose your heat you go through this other thing you do this you do that what blah, blah blah blah, blah. It still doesn't work that way it's 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 not the right way if you didn't if you can do the olympics in surfing you need to be able to do a contest do another contest and do another contest at least 2 out of 3 wins or 3 out of 5 wins yeah yeah to make a world champ and yeah.
0: you think different locations too um to kind of give a little bit more versatile like kind of
2: that's kind of that's kind of up in the air because it's too costly to do that. Yeah, unless they planned it. Say, for instance, it's supposed to be in Japan, and maybe Japan has some of the worst waves in the world, but they also have some of the best waves in the world. So, with Surfline and all the education of surf reports online, they sh- everybody should be sitting at home. And looking at a three-week forecast saying, OK, well, you know what? This is where we're going to have the next contest because this is where it's going to be pumping. Everybody buys air tickets and, and get their hotels and they fly there for that for five-day period. Yeah. And when they're done, everybody goes home or at the same thing. oh, you know what? We're going to have the next contest here because it's going to be pumping next week for these three or four days. So we're going to all fly there for the next contest instead of saying, oh, this is the date the contest is. We're going to do a two-week waiting period and hope for the best. Yeah. yeah. There's no reason for the WSL or any competition out there to sit there and make dates for contests anymore. There's no reason for it. They should just put the contests up, here's the schedule, and we'll tell you when we're going to have the contests.
0: Is there a wave on, on the planet that should be on the tour? Um, like, like, Do you feel like it's missing? I mean, I'm pretty bummed Lowers is off.
2: Well, Lowers is a ripoff. The they want ten thousand or twenty thousand dollars a day to have a freaking contest, which is a joke. Yeah, you know it's going to be a. They should have a waiting period, um, one month. The contest is going to be seven days. You got a one month waiting period when the best waves are going to be, okay. And the contest can be run for seven days, and in between those seven days, you can p- pick the best seven days. And that's how it should be run. Every contest should be run like that. But instead, the WSL has decided to. Shorten up the contest by coming up with a new way of doing things to where I don't know they got a new format now, so they so they can run a contest in two days.
0: Come I think three, I, I think three, but I don't I don't know. I may be wrong.
2: No, I yeah. thought they did the girls in two days like last year mm. during a contest. I'm like, you know how much surfing that is in two days to do? Yeah. I, you do what two or three heats in one day, and you got three or four heats the next day. If you lose and you come back and you lose, that's out of control. It's a lot. Every heat on the WSL is thirty to forty minutes. Even though you're doing, you're sitting a lot. Every wave you catch is like catching ten waves.
0: Yeah, yeah. mentally too. It's
2: going yeah. so much faster. Yeah. For a twenty-minute heat in a contest is like surfing two hours. Yeah. It's a burnout. It is a burnout. So anyway, hopefully they'll get 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 a clue when they. Hit. <laughs> What about – and if they ever want to hire the right person to do the job, I'm the man to do it.
0: There you go.
2: But we'll they, didn't out there. Back, they didn't listen to me 30 years ago and they still won't listen to me now. <laughs> but actually they did listen to me 30 years ago because what they're doing now is what I told them to do 30 years ago.
0: Waiting periods and, and you know at yep. least having
2: – It just took them too long to figure it out. Yeah.
0: So. What
2: about wave pools? Have you
0: surfed any wave pools?
2: Um, yeah, I surfed Palm Springs. Back in nineteen (laughs) eighty (laughs) something,
0: lots have changed since then, huh?
2: Yeah, but you know, watching Kelly's wave pool is pretty boring. You know, yeah, yeah, surfs the same. They do the same thing, and no one really looks great. I just think it's they need they need. um, I think it should be more of an exhibition than a competition, because that way the guy you can go out there just go surf and go crazy. Yeah instead of having to surf tour criteria, I think they should have, like, um, invite certain surfers around the world. They should have a a, a, yeah. a, a, um, a master's division and invite guys like me and Luke to go out there and, you know, Potter. And, and they should have a senior's division and get MR and Sean Thompson and Ian and all of those guys. You know, but it's all about what? Money. yeah And I can guarantee you, I can guarantee you that... It would bring more people watching than it does now if they ran a masters and a seniors. Yeah. Hold on a second. Hold on. No, just it just goes great, Like blank. Yeah. Oh really? Oh. Yeah. So anyway, what I, what was I talking about?
0: Where just, uh, just wave wave pools and and yeah. how it should be a specialty event? I I totally agree. I don't I don't think it should be a tour stop. I think they no. should run some specialty events and you know. Like um, they make, did
2: back in the day, they'd have a specialty event, like like Yaman, the Eddie. You know, as a specialty event. Yeah. You know, yeah. Do stuff like that. They should do. They come out with a nice wave pool or something. They should do specialty events. It's, it's the way it should be. I mean, you can't. You, it's like someone saying, "How much will, how much can I pay you to do this? I can't put a number on it because I'm me. Yeah. yeah. You know, the, I, there's no number. I made my money surfing. I'd love to make more. Yeah. You no know, but I, I just I don't believe that I should be paid to do something that I should have been being paid for the last 30 years doing all of a sudden you want to pay me again you should have never stopped paying me
4: <laughs> yeah I
2: should, I should have been from what I what I built 30 years ago I still, should still be a part of the family not oh um, we want to pay you again or what do you need for us to pay you to do this it's like really yeah you know I and that, and that goes back
0: just to like, again, like the surfing community and the, and the industry and how it should yeah. take, t- take care of the, the generations I mean, you, before you, 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 you and in, include golf, them.
2: You look at golf, you look at tennis, you look at um, football, baseball, basketball, hockey, you look at all these other sports and surfing wants to be like them. Well, why don't you start taking care of your veterans? And your seniors and your masters that got you where you are today. You think any of these companies would be halfway where they are without me, Sonny, Luke, Martin Potter, MR, Sean Thompson, Rabbit, all these guys? No. And you get other Tom Carroll. I mean I don't know. Even look at Danny Quack, Preston Murray, Jeff Parker. You think Quicksilver would be anywhere on the map without them? Look at my dad. You think my dad would be where he is right now without those guys or Quicksilver without their guys or my dad? No, they wouldn't be. Look at Tom Curran. What? do You think Al Merrick would be – Al Merrick without Tom Curran or Kelly. like, no, he wouldn't. Yep. Not one company in this industry would not be where they are right now without the writer they had. Yep. Okay. For sure. There's no way in the world. Every company that sold out to the public should have gave every single one of these riders that got in there a percentage. Yeah. If that's so, then Billabong and Oakley, you owe me a freaking hell of a lot of money, damn it! <laughs>
0: <laughs> and they should—you should have been gotten royalties off your, your blades, dude. Are you kidding me? Exactly. You put those on the map.
2: Well, you know, it's it's it it is what it is. It's the way the companies ran because they did not do it right, and now look what they're all—they're almost all out of business thirty years later. Yeah, but all the owners are rich, rich and having a great time.
0: Yeah. Oh. So, I hear you there. Yeah. What, um, what's, who is your, who's your favorite travel companion? Like on tour, like to go on a surf trip with,
2: um, Sonny, I did, I did a couple surf trips with him, but he hated hanging out with me anymore because I would always put him in his place <laughs> and he didn't like that. I used to, you know, I laughed at him and make fun of him. He didn't like that. I was yeah. the only one that could, you know? Yeah. Um, love you buddy but that's
0: but that's that's what good friends are you could talk crap and then you know like just you know kind of uh you know be able to put a
2: couple jabs and know it's in all good fun yeah but Sonny was his own kingpin he didn't want another kingpin hanging out with him that's just the way Sonny rolled he was always like that growing up yeah and uh he just you know he wanted to be the king of the mountain. Yeah. That's just funny. He's always he's always like that. He's always fidgety. He always wanted to be somewhere else. He can never be in one spot for more than a week to two weeks. He'd lose his mind and wanna Dude, he used to go to Australia for like a couple of days and fly back to Hawaii just to see his girlfriend for a day and then fly back. <laughs> what the hell's up with that?
0: So crazy.
2: You know, we both had girlfriends from Hawaii and they moved to San Diego. So he's losing his mind. He's like, dude, I'm coming to LA, man. I'm going to San Diego to see my girlfriend. Why? Cause I go all right, well, then I'll join you. My girlfriend's down there too, so we yeah. go down there and go to San Diego. You know, he'd hang out with her for like two or three days and freak out, couldn't be handled. Me, so he'd fly back to Hawaii for like a couple of days. Oh, I gotta see my girlfriend, freak out, and fly back to San Diego.
0: You know, jet setting. You know, top of the world, money, money, party, go,
2: money, 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 money. You know, he was nuts, man. You could not if you put an anchor and put chains on his legs. Dude, he would ate through those chains, <laughs> ate his feet off, or ate his, you know, and went with and walked on nubs to yeah. get to where he wanted to go.
0: Yeah, I, I feel like a lot of surfers, you know, after living a lifestyle that we have, you know, kind of are, are like that. You know, you get you can't yeah. just stay in one place. No, you no, know?
2: Sonny was always like that, even living the lifestyle. <laughs> he was like that when he started, and he was like that when he was done. He was always in and out of Costa Mesa, never saying hi to me. Like, dude, what? I just heard you were here. What are you doing, dude? You come to my town. You say hi. Let's go to lunch. Yeah. You know, what are you thinking? You know? So, but yeah, he was always, oh, well, I was only in for like a half a day and I went back here to go there to blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I don't care if you're here for an hour. You call me and let me know you're here. I don't get to see you that much. Yeah. Okay. Once in a while, I'll run into you in Hawaii and that's it. Once I might see you. At Doctor G's or something. Yeah. You know? So Shout out to G. Doctor G, I love that guy. Yeah. Getting been with us ninety six. If it wasn't for Tim Brown getting me back on my feet, I wouldn't be where I am today. If it wasn't yeah. for Doctor G taking care of me after ninety six, I'd be a dead man.
0: Right. Love those guys. What uh where, where's the last uh, surf trip you've been on? Anywhere are you jet um, to? Get some warm water?
2: No. <laughs> last trip trip shoot oh yeah uh, i went to hawaii last was it november?
0: Last, november last winter
2: yeah last winter we came over here for like a week or so i think it was a week yeah we did about nine days because um yeah we did we we came here during um uh thanksgiving so we flew back thanksgiving day back home nice, nice. Did you score um i really would have but my back was bugging me so much i could hardly surf. so Ugh. then i came home and i lost almost 20 pounds after that
0: oh wow oof so you can't afford workout. that skeletor well,
2: can't lose 20 pounds yeah. trust me i could will weber sh- throwed, throwed, threw up threw through something down on um on facebook in uh october november a 30-day challenge to start doing some push-ups and sit-ups and lifting some weights yeah so i wasn't going to do it so i finally decided to do it so i started doing it and then um i uh Started getting stronger again. You know, my stomach started. Cause it's hard for me to do sit-ups because of my hernias. And it looks like i got to get surgery again soon. Oh. So I was like, frick, man, I can't do this. And other crap going on in my life, I just decided to start working at my friend's house in San Clemente every day. Built some boards and quit eating. Lost almost 20 pounds. I went from 175, 178 to 155. What? what? Yeah.
0: No, yeah, I almost lost
2: 25 pounds, actually.
0: Oh, my gosh. 20
2: to 25 pounds. When you said quit eating, what do you mean? You I just quit eating. What? <laughs> I don't eat. I quit eating breakfast.
0: Can, can you tell – yeah,
2: Leland needs to you
0: know this diet. What is it? Not eat. eating. Oh, okay.
2: So this is the way you lose – this is the only way you can actually lose weight. You have to get up, leave your house, and go do something till about 12 or 1 o'clock. Okay? You basically have to fast for the first six hours of the day. You go home. You have a bowl of cereal. And go <laughs> yes. And to your house again. You leave your house again for another six hours. You come home about six o'clock and you make a dinner. And you either make dinner or you have another bowl of cereal and you go to bed. Don't forget, in the meantime, you're going to be going psycho. So you have to find something to keep yourself going and not eat. Your stomach will start growling and every time I'm working with my buddy, he's like, dude, are you hungry? I don't know, you know, if I'm next to my wife or my kids, my stomach's clear. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a hurricane. Like, I think you need to eat. Nope, not yet. <laughs> so, I lost about 25 pounds. Damn.
0: Uh, I need, I need to get on all that. All the way down
2: to, just, I. my goal was 155, and I actually hit 154.5. Oh my gosh. So, I don't think I can ever do that. And now Sorry. I'm back up to like the 158 to 161 mark, because... I haven't been working as much, yeah. and I've been eating a little bit more food because now that my kids are out of school, I have to feed them all the time. Yeah, they're always hungry. They want food. They're to- always hey, hungry. D- just
0: ate, and I'm like, I'm hungry again. I'm like, you just, just ate.
2: Yeah. On the weekends, it was like French toast or banana pancakes or a nice spam and eggs breakfast or breakfast burritos. Now it's every day. Uh- spam <laughs> eggs and rice, French toast, breakfast burritos. You know, pan- banana pancakes
0: hey can we go get a bonsai bowl dad can we go hit a breakfast burrito spot hey can we go get
2: sugar shack yeah i go. nope we can't go out to eat at all because i'll make food at home because my food tastes better than anybody's
0: yeah that
2: and it's so expensive to go out well especially when you're feeding a family of five yeah i hear you they all eat their own meals now and my youngest wants always wants steak and potatoes how many kids you got three girls wow i got two surfing uh, uh, I got a 14, a 15 and a 20 year old and my youngest Anella she's my boogie boarder. She kills it at her boogie board. My 15 year old loves surfing, loves to go out there and enjoy herself which is great. I kept her out of competition because I can't handle it and my 20 year old has done nothing but piss me off for the last 10 years because she wants to surf.
1: <laughs> and I'd
2: rather her play golf because she's a very good golfer. Nice.
1: But she's she's had a, a couple of uh, successes on on the local contest right?
2: Yeah, well, she did really good at home on the amateur series. She did super well, and when she was 14, we came over to Sunset, in Hawaii, and she won the Pro Junior at 14, and when it was closing out. Yeah, dang. So hold on a second, hold on real quick. She's <laughs> like, "Go Trump, another four years, and hopefully he'll get in the he'll get in the system, and he'll change it for another eight years for himself." So. I just what. A- love it. I just, I just love the comedy. The, the best comedian right now in the whole world is Donald Trump. Yeah, I hear you. And if all the other people can't handle him because of the stuff he says, dude, it's comedy. Come on. Pull your head out of your asses and just listen and have, have a laugh.
0: So, uh, so true. So any, anything you want to promote or anything that you know you want to say to our guests like you know, before we, we, we wrap it up? No,
2: not really. I just, you know, get out there.
0: Keep shredding, surf, Keep shredding, stay healthy.
2: Surfing and, uh, you know, uh, if anybody ever needs a board, all you got to do is hit me up on Facebook. And uh, if you want something, you want to go to the best surf shop in the world? In my hometown, Newport Beach, TK's Frog House. Nice. Best deals in the
0: world. Love it. Love it.
2: And then uh, just love my family and love God.
1: Awesome. Dude. Amen. Hey, Richie, so, Skeletor. Thank you for spending time with us and telling
2: some rad stories.
0: Rad Damn. stories. Yeah. That's about a
2: sixteenth of that of them. I know. Well, <laughs> we'll do round I, two. And you, we'll, you got to remember, you have to remember, we only talked about till I was about what, what two thousand. <laughs> yeah, we got another ten years, <laughs> and there's still another thirty year forty, uh, what, uh, forty years prior than that. I know.
0: We we well, we could go for for days. We'll have you but, on again. Yeah, so we'll, you know what.
2: But yeah. you know what? That's for my book. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, when you
2: when you write your book,
1: then then we'll help you promote it through our podcast.
2: Sounds good. All right. I love it. I think I got about ten about another nine years. When I turn 60, I think I'll write my book. Oh, uh, you gotta do yeah. it before then.
0: You gotta so. get that, that those last couple of chapters, and that's the next ten years, so get, yep. get creative. Get on. Never it.
2: thought I never thought I lived uh I never thought I'd live past twenty-seven, but God said I would.
0: Yeah. Hey. So. Stay, stay healthy, my friend, and uh, thanks thanks for, um, yeah, all the many, many years of inspiring uh, surfers. Yeah. Yep. You're welcome. Richie. Thanks.
2: You guys you, have a good day. You Take too, Take care of your families. You. Right on, man. Will do. Peace. Later. Peace. Bye-bye. See ya.
0: Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the show.